0: Welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. I am your co-host, Neve, and I'm joined, as always, by your other co-host, Connor. Hey, welcome back, everyone. And uh, today, we are covering episodes 7 through 13 of Mobile Suit Gundam, Iron-Blooded Orphans. Um, I had this moment when I was watching through this where, uh, for some reason, this like show feels really long to me in my head cuz there's a lot that happens in it. Um mm. and so I I was remarked at like how much has already happened and we're only like two discussion episodes in. Um
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had the um, same feeling and I haven't even seen the whole show.
0: Yeah, there's a moment where I'm like we are already a quarter through the entire show. It's just weird to think about. Um
1: with Well, this I one guess I had-
0: it's hitting me. I don't know why, but
1: I guess I had like the opposite feeling of like wow we're only 13 episodes into this and there's it's already done like so much there's already so much going on um but it's it's exciting i'm really enjoying it so far
0: um do you want to get into synopses and things We're, we're doing things a little bit different than we did last time um this is slightly per your request um where we're not going to do it entirely episode by episode. There's some parts where we're going to group episodes, but we're gonna uh, we're gonna not do all the synopses at the top, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. So we'll do a couple and then talk about it, and then we'll see yeah. where it goes.
0: Um, the big thing is, uh, I think seven and eight. Like, I just don't know what to say about seven without getting into eight because it. I feel like. Th- seven is a slightly more thematic light. Not that there isn't stuff happening in it, but, um, most of the themes are like gestured at. And then first actually kind of really come in in episode eight. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then when we get to the end, I think we might, uh, group some of those just to, to sort of get the whole, um, Akihiro, um, Masahiro stuff. Yeah. Arc together. Um, anyway, um, I can start things off here with episode seven, unless you have any other preliminary remarks. No, go for it. Um, The okay, so episode seven, the title is wailing. Um, I this is a thing, uh, I guess, before we get into it, uh, how how have you felt about the the slight like Moby Dick wailing stuff going on here? Uh, there's like not too much of it, but the the reactors are called A- Ahab reactors. Yeah. Um, this episode is called Whaling. There's another one called the Shoal, which also feels like particularly nautical and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. You might be
1: surprised to to hear this, but I hadn't really given it much thought. I mean, I'd noticed it. Uh, yeah. But I hadn't until now. I hadn't really given it much thought. Uh. I have like a couple immediate ideas, but I think unless I just feel compelled during this discussion, um, yeah, I think I'll probably wait and see how much more, like how much more of a parallel is developed, um, yeah, or like a dialogue, and and then comment on that. Uh, there is like, I think the big thing that comes up in in these episodes is a kind of parallel with um, there's a chapter in Moby Dick, um, a very famous one called a squeeze of the hand. And it's like the celebration of, um, well, I guess, you know, it's debatable if it's a celebration or not. Um, All of this is debatable, but uh, to me, it's like a celebration of male sexuality. Um and specifically like within the context of like, um, like homoeroticism, yeah, uh, and and also like that within the context of like a communal, like utopian, um, vision of like shared labor and like benevolence, uh, and like. Like, this, like, openness, um, like, sexual freedom, uh, in essence. And there's, like, a a lot of similar stuff that's going on here. And that I think, like, IBO is starting to gesture towards or, like, reach towards. Um, It's not quite the same, but I can see some parallels happening, um, at least in terms of, like, some of the ideas and some of the subjects that are in the mix here.
0: Yeah. Um, I've, I've never read Moby Dick. Um, so I don't, I, I wasn't thinking about this too directly the last previous times that I've watched this either. Um, the vibe that I got was definitely, uh, that there was sort of its own story and this stuff is like coming in as part of a naming thing, just like connecting some, uh, slight parallel, thing, but like, it's more like a naming theme rather than, um, this is like a foundational text for the the anime, but I could be wrong because I have read Moby Dick, but um, I mean, I know a lot about it. So
1: I, I kind of felt the same way, but yeah, I'll have to think more on it because maybe, um, maybe there, there is more stuff happening like subtly that I just haven't paid attention to. Um, and it is more of a dialogue, but something to think about.
0: Yeah. Anyway, Episode 7, Whaling. Um, so the former CGS president, um, Aruba RK, makes contact with Tekedon. Uh They demand that, um, or he demands that they return Isarebi to him. Um, he has tracked them out in space by teaming up with a group called the Turbines, um, which is a subsidiary crew from Tewaz. Uh Tewas being sort of, um, was it, Jupiter? I forget the the thing that they're kind of based out of.
1: Mm, um, yeah I can't remember either
0: yeah it's one of the like more distant planet maybe it was like Neptune or something it's one of those like further away ones uh, further than Mars <clears throat> um, and is you know rumored to be sort of a criminal organization which will get stuff this is like when the, the turbines show up we're going to start I think getting a little bit more uh, interaction with like Yakuza troops Um. anyway uh, Naze Turbine is the leader of the turbines Um, and he commands a ship called the Hammerhead uh, and they are in hot pursuit of the Isaribi. Um, we get a little bit of background about like Naze coming into contact with, uh, Maruba during a visit to Mars, um, and sort of for the right price agreeing to, uh, help out here. Um, and since, uh, Tegedana taken all of the property, they're like pursuing it so that he can get the money to pay, um, the turbines. Um, in order to avoid conflict, uh, Biscuit suggests that Tekadon hire the turbines to guide them to Earth, uh, sort of being like, well, what, what if we team up instead? Um, but Nazir rejects the idea, uh, demands that the uh, Easter Rebay and the CGS goods be returned. There's like a little evoking of um, like honor or I forget the exact term, um, but like, you know, I made this deal. I'm like honoring this one. Principles. Um, Yes. Yeah. Principles, yeah, being, principles
1: being a thing that Naze
0: likes to talk about. Yeah. Um, which is also tying, I think, a little bit into like senses of honor and, and uh, duty that exist in uh, Yakuza stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, Orga refuses to send Takedon into battle uh, or refuses to return stuff and then sends Takedon into battle against the Turbines. Um, we get the launch of uh, Amida Arca... Ozzy, Gurderman and uh laughter, or laughter I forgive. I think it's laughter uh yeah, I Franklin. think so They they go into battle um Amida and Ozzy both pilot um I think it's the the Hyakuren is the um Yeah I yeah I so I got this wrong
1: when we were texting mm-hmm. or I said it was like the Hyakuren... And there's there's the Hyakuren and Hyakuri.
0: Yeah, Uh, Um,
1: and
2: so the Hyakuren has kind of who Who has which.
0: Yeah, so uh, Amida has the the like uh, reddish colored Hyakuren. Um, The Hyakuren has like big shoulders and like really huge like uh, thighs on the legs. And kind of looks like a. I don't know it looks like it could be just it could do some cool punching or something even though the hands are kind of small. <laughs> it's like it's like built like a fighter in that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of beefy in design. Um and then the blue one is piloted by uh Ozzy. Um and then the Hyakuri is uh sort of beige colored um and is uh even more there, there's something about the head to the Hyakurei that's a little bit alien. Um but the Hyakurei has like uh five eyes. Uh, on its head, and it has like the, this huge um, like jet backpack that the arms fold up into uh, when it's sort of like moving quickly. Um, and and the legs come
1: of, to like a point.
0: Yeah, the legs are kind of like spindly towards the end. Yeah, um, and it, it's, it's like a insectoid. Little bit, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, anyway, I just want to highlight these because one, I think they're they're really cool designs. They're some of my favorite from. Um, this show, I think. Um, and I like these characters. Um, so they all launch from the hammerhead, um, and attack in their mobile suits. Uh, Mikazuki and, uh, Akihiro go out to com- uh, counter them. Mikazuki, obviously in Barbados, uh, or Barbados, um, and Akihiro in the, the greys that they got from, um, killing that one, uh, Gal, guy, Galarhorn. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's gonna be a struggle it It just hurts um anyway uh it's it's especially especially hard because i've like gotten into saying the stuff the proper way even when it's not written the proper way with like all the proper accents for around the longfire uh so it's even Mm -hmm. more of a struggle than it would normally be um just think of it like a horn but geller. but that's haran means horn it's just right yeah, it's just a horn, but it's it's Gattler-Hern. Galler, Galler.
1: Okay. The, yeah. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> fine. I I have no problem with you saying it. You know, the correct way, the um, quote, quote, quote unquote, correct way.
0: Um. Anyway, while the mobile suits duel, the Easter E B and the Hammerhead engage. Um. There's this part where they uh, the the turbines do sort of this like smoke thing. I think. I think they're the ones that do it, but then they use it... Or maybe it's the... Whatever, they use the cover of the smoke and then passing through the smoke to uh, transfer over. But we'll get more of these details next time. Um, But anyway, uh, Eugene is in in command of the ship because uh, Orga, Shino, and some other ones are going to infiltrate the Hammerhead. Um, And then before Akihiro and Mikazuki uh, sort of reach their limits, um, this is like maybe among the the most like uh honest back foot that we've seen uh, Mika here, um, the mobile suits are suddenly called back. Um, there's this moment where like uh, laughter and Mika are like basically ready to kill each other right when they're called back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems that Naze has finally decided to listen to Tekadon's o- offer.
1: Uh, episode eight, form of closeness. Uh, by the way, I acknowledge that Gatlerhorn is the correct way of pronouncing it. I'm just yeah. giving you a hard time. Um, okay, so episode eight, uh, we kind of see like what's been happening in the background of the end of episode seven. Um, so Orga uh leads a team onto the turbines, uh, or turbines. I think it's they kind of pronounce it like turbine, if I yeah. remember right, but we'll just say turbines. um onto the turbine spaceship, uh where they like fight kind of fight their way through, eventually get to the bridge and meet uh, Naze and Maruba uh, face-to-face. Orga is about to shoot Maruba, but Naze stops him, saying uh, it's not the effort. Um, and also, he's like agreed to hear Tekadon out um, mm. for a couple of reasons, but basically, um, they've like managed to impress him. Um, and uh, ultimately, Maruba gets sent to a mining satellite to to pay off his debt, so... Uh, maybe that's the last we'll see of Maruba uh, in this series. Maybe not. Uh, Takedon and the Turbines then have a meeting, uh, and Naze agrees to introduce Takedon to McMurdo Barristan, the leader of Teiwaz. Uh, or- Orga hopes that uh, by meeting McMurdo, he can convince him to allow Takedon to become a division of Tewaz. Um Orga's already kind of like, this is his first request to, um, to Naze, is yeah. that he wants he wants on to become a subsidiary of Teiwa's. Um so Naze's okay with it. Uh um at which point the turbines then guide Tekadon on a ten day trip to Teiwa's headquarters, which is an enormous uh, spaceship. oh this is space station called uh, Saisei. Yeah. Um And then in the course of the over the ten days, um, we see more about um, the turbines uh, it's revealed that the turbines um, which we've already seen that they're all women we kind of see this ac- over the course of episode seven um, but now it's revealed that it's essentially like a harem Naze calls it a harem uh, populated entirely by women married to Naze uh, and their children um, and neve in the, in the <laughs> notes for this says I'm sure we'll have thoughts about this yeah you're right yeah. Um <laughs> all right, well, I I definitely had thoughts about this. Um yeah. and I, you know, assume you did too. Yeah. Well I know you did because uh a detail noted
0: here, um that that I think this will this will go like as, as they stick around to um is he does have kids with like uh six of the women. I think it's sad. Um and it's like imply like there, I think it's ambiguous. Like he he has sex with multiple women, but it's uh, ambiguous whether it's everybody on the ship or not. Um, okay,
1: yeah, yeah, I, that, I think like
0: that's... if it's everybody is not confirmed.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's correct. Yeah. Um. While they're on their way to Saisei, um, Orga they get messages from from back on Mars. Uh, Orga learns that Tekadon uh, the Mars branch has run out of money. Um, so they talk, uh, Orga and Biscuit talk to Naze to try to um, get a connection so they can sell the items that they seized uh, from Gatlerhorn. Now I'm doing it. <laughs> um, on Mars. Uh, Naze, um is like, well, you know, if you need money, why didn't you just take my initial offer uh, where I offered you... Get- work uh to work for me uh and orga says well we couldn't because you said that it, you would split us up um and we can't allow that uh and not they kind of continue this conversation Naze's probing this uh and orga explains that tekadon is basically connected by blood um he uses the um the iron you know iron-blooded motif here becomes yeah. uh really articulated um in that form for i think the first time um yeah and so naze is kind of like there's more there's more going on in this conversation but for the plot synopsis we won't get into all of that uh naze agrees to like help them with find a traitor um and then comments that um the con- type of connection orga is talking about is not like a friendship or uh comrades but uh family um and uh yeah. continues to uh extend this into like um challenging orga uh on his responsibility for for this group like if all of this is true um what does this mean for your your position um or, you know, it has these implications, and are you prepared to, to deal with it? Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Atra and Cadelia uh, familiarize themselves with the members of the Turbines, which consists of Nazi's wives and their children. Uh, again, which you, we've addressed. Yeah. Um, Atra uh, brings Cadelia to the Turbines nursery, hoping to cheer her up. Um, there's, there's more going on here, too. Yeah. Um, but. Let's just say it's to cheer up Kudelia, by visiting the infants.
0: Yeah, this is what the Gundam wiki I pulled it from said. Um, There's a lot going on in the scene, but yeah, um, there is for sure. Yeah,
1: Um, Mikazuki. uh, While this is happening, Mikazuki and Akihiro begin training with uh, Ozzy and Laughter or Lofter using the mobile suit like simulator on um, the Turbine ship. Uh, when Mika finishes training, he finds Orga to tell him, um, he's been training so that Tekkenon never leaves him behind, and Orga is basically like, you idiot, I would never leave you behind. Um, nor would I leave anybody else in Tekkenon behind, uh, because this is our, like, family that we started together. Uh, he doesn't say that last part, but we all know. We know that's what, what's going on. So,
2: um.
1: Episode nine.
2: Um, Oh, actually, no,
1: (laughs) not episode nine. (laughs) The own my own like requested structure uh, is already confusing me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're already breaking it.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, um, yeah, episode seven and eight. um, I know that you had some thoughts on this. So I'll let you um, start off uh, unless Unless you want me to.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I I think the, like, one of the the obvious things that is happening in this scene, um, or in these two episodes, uh, one, we get this, it's calling attention to the fact that it is a a ship manned entirely by boys, uh, in a way that, um, is easy to sort of um, at first take for granted because this is kind of how, um, a lot of military units work in general. Um, but by, by then introducing this, uh, other ship that's manned almost entirely by women, you're getting this like, uh, parallel, uh, one, the, the ship manned by women is, uh, I'm even like using the word man kind of jokingly here. <laughs> um, but that being like a term that's also used. Um, but, you know, that is a thing that like requires more explanation than having a, a a bunch of boys on a ship, um, Mm -hmm. having a bunch of girls basically. Um, and so I think some of that is, is already coming up to show like, uh, and to emphasize gender dynamics that are happening here that are going to continue to get developed. Um, it's also introducing this, uh, sexual or, or like sexuality aspect to it, that these are a lot of, um, you know, Uh, the the main focal characters on the main ship are like young boys who are sort of in that teenage period where they, they have like gone through puberty. They're still kind of uh, like just on the other side of it for the most part. There's also some younger kids who are like probably actively going through that process. Um, and there's been a little bit of touch around sexuality with like, um, Kudeli in particular coming in, uh, you know, In the the first six episodes, I think there were already some comments about her and, like, making a comparison to them, uh, to the the boys on the ship. Um, But here you're getting, that stuff get emphasized. Um, You're also starting to get, like, instead of it being, like, there are uh, these two girls and, uh, you know, Kudelia and Atra, um, and uh, Kudelia's, like, uh, older assistant, um, Fumitan. Fumitan, now you're getting, like, uh, an increase of, like, the the amount of, uh, I guess, like, romantic and sexual tension that can exist uh, in the show. Um,
1: yeah. And also, the one thing I would add is, like, like visibly, like, sexually active women. Yes. Um, because, like, the sexuality is, like, prominent in an... Their sexuality is prominent in a number of ways, but it's, like, immediately apparent to, like, all of... To the viewer and all of the boys on... In Tekadon. Yeah. Uh, so, it's a different, like... It, it's a... The rec... Like, it's an encounter with something that they haven't really, like, encountered from Atra or, like, Cordelia.
0: Mm. Um, I think there's also an intentional bringing in of uh, uh anime trope that exists uh, more so when iron blood and orphans is being made then like the original tomino shows um harem anime is like there's an entire genre of anime that is just harem anime uh that's Mm -hmm. all just like a, a boy surrounded by a bunch of girls who are all interested in him um definitely i i think the rise of uh visual novels and especially like dating sim visual novels also increased this um tendency because a lot of those stories are uh if you if you have a like dating sim you you want to have a bunch of different options for the player who you know a different player is going to identify with different people that they would want to date and then what you end up uh even if this is not the intention for the the first dating sims uh you end up creating something that is essentially a bunch of girls who are all interested in one main focal character um and so this stuff is getting introduced but is also kind of um and we'll talk about how i think some of this stuff is developing further uh in later episodes but is uh, immediately being introduced um And I don't think uh, fully and critically we can maybe talk as we go on. And obviously listeners can have their own opinions about like how well it's handling some of the stuff it's trying to do. Um, But I don't think they're just purely introducing like, oh, here's a harem anime because harem anime is popular. So it's the harem anime ship. Um, Mm -hmm. They're intentionally introducing it to um, one by making it uh, not just like a bunch of women who are interested in, uh, you know, one male character, but having it actually be marriage and having some kids in there and stuff. Um, it's creating this idea of family, which yes, family is also going to come up as the, the turbine stuff continues to be uh, like more Yakuza tropes start coming in. Uh, Cause there's also this idea of family that exists. Like family is often what different Yakuza like subgroups within a, a um, you know, corporation essentially are essentially are referred to as. So them being a family is already taking on this double meaning of like they are a family and that they are all married um but also they are a family in this like uh organized crime sense within Tewas uh and then this is getting uh put up against what's happening with Tekadon and also drawing out in you know in this episode the the thing about uh the conversation between Orga and Naze are are pointing at like what you were also talking about is a a connection about family. Um a thing that's interesting here, and this is something I think uh we'll explore the the turbines continue to be in this show. I think if by the time you get to episode thirteen, it's clear that they're not just gonna jettison them imme- immediately. Um they're gonna, I think, continue to also uh like nase is bringing up this idea of like what is your responsibility to these people to the orders that you give could that could get them killed things like that um because these are things that he's also thinking about with the family that he has of uh, all of these people on the ship um and so i think like as this goes on we'll continue to get more about like uh what are the what are the turbines like and what's going on on that ship um but even here in sort of the most immediate form of like, uh, this is a, a harem anime. Uh, it, I think it's already doing some interesting stuff to complicate that. And, um, you know, there's, there's another episode later on that I think we can talk about. Um, cause I, I don't think that the, I don't think that this, the scene with like Atra and, um, Amita comes up here yet. Does it? It does. I
1: I think if it's the one that I think you're thinking of,
0: yeah, um, it it is in this. Um, For some reason, I thought it was in episode nine, but maybe not. Oh,
1: it's in. Yeah, it is in. Uh, let's see. I
0: yeah, should have I'm it in my notes here. I'm checking my notes as well. I think. It was uh, no, episode.
1: it's here. It's here. It's episode eight. Huh. Uh, um, when when Amida is like, "You'll make a good wife." Yeah, yeah, that's an eight.
0: Well, I'm looking at my notes that I took. Where? Uh, uh, well, I have it
1: in my notes for eight. I guess I could be wrong. Yeah, maybe it I comes mean, up. Just maybe it kind of comes it. up
0: a multiple because episode nine. I definitely have the note of uh, Asha misses the the point about the um like uh, meat the the comparison uh, to meat.
1: Yeah, so you might be right. But nonetheless, I mean, it. I think you can cite it here. We're going to get to it
0: soon. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess I'll put it here because I ended up adding this thing because it, it didn't show up in the uh, synopses that we did. And I, I thought it was in uh, episode nine. But either way, if it's in episode eight or episode nine, uh, there's sort of this conversation that happens between, uh, Asher and Amita where Amita is saying like a great man is defined by, uh, having a lot of love to give. Um, and so man with a lot of love, even if he shares it with others, that's like, a, a, a good thing, a desirable thing to want. Like, uh, would you rather like basically like, uh, share a steak with somebody or just have bread? Um, and Atra who, uh, it's revealed has never had real meat. has only had like, uh, fake meat, um, but did work in like basically a bakery is like well, I would have bread, uh and not <laughs> just like bread, <laughs> yeah, I love bread uh, <laughs> I, I would definitely pick that over me, and Amita' like you know obviously just like missing the whole metaphor that's happening here, um, uh, but then Amida's like you'll grow into a great wife, um sort of in response to this, um and then I think I feel like this stuff comes up in or or is that later? Um, I mean, I guess I can bring it in here. I, I think it will come up. I'm pretty sure this one comes up later on. Um, but there's also this part where uh, Atra sort of makes this uh, decision is thinking about this romantic tension that I think is developing throughout these episodes around um, her uh, clearly liking Mika. Um, you know, there's the I don't know if we talked about it last time, but she gives this bracelet to to Mikazuki. Um yeah. and
1: then perceiving that Ina also like has feel is is going yeah. to or like does have feelings for him.
0: Yeah. Uh Atra is sort of perceiving this. Um and then is I think thinking of that conversation with Amida um and then comes to this conclusion of like, well, if we are a family Like tech uh like if Tekadon is a family, like the Turbines are a family, then that would mean that in the same way that Nase can be with multiple women, Mika could be with multiple women. And so I don't actually have to view Kudelia as like competition uh for Mika's affections. Uh I can approach this in like a, a different um more polyamorous way. Uh which this is a thing that um I remember this stuff coming up in the show too. I forgot that it came up this early. Um I was sort of surprised. Uh that's that's already in these ones.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. It's in 10.
0: Yeah. Um oh yeah, because that comes up around the we'll we'll get into all of her backstory and stuff. Um but so I think like this is one of the ways that it's already trying to complicate uh, the turbines is a, a harem is like showing this other character who's who's able to look at that and then uh, come to a different way of approaching relationships. Um, that I mean, I guess we we will see as this the series goes on. How does this end up working out? Uh, but at the at the very least, is uh, clearly like. Preventing the kind yeah is acknowledged and is also preventing the kind of uh tropic tensions that would happen between two girls who like a boy in an anime um the atra and kudelia continue to get along and like we'll see later they like make a bento box for Mika and things um so uh you know rather than them having conflict around this, it is something that um. They're they're both, like, able to just, uh, like, Atra is multiple times able to reach out to Kudelia when Kudelia is worried about Mikazuki fighting and being like, he's going to be okay. And I I think it is because she's coming to this uh, approach to relationships that she's taking as a, uh, you know, for better or worse, is taking as a model the Turbines. Um, I would argue for better, but... um, You know, I think this stuff is more interesting than having an anime that's just about the two women fighting with each other over the affections of a man. Um, We can also talk about how blank slate, (laughs) uh, seemingly emotionless Mika is. Uh, I mean, there's stuff going on under his surface. Yeah, yeah. that that becomes like a point in the last
1: episode. Yeah, (laughs) we'll get that. So we'll see what happens with that. But that's like already uh, that point. Uh, in its own way, is, is also being like uh, staged. Uh, yeah, in this series of episodes.
0: Yeah, um, um, I don't know about you. I feel like uh, definitely the first time I watched this, because um, I think also some of the the development with Mikazuki happens like gradually and subtly and uh, over time. The first time I watched this, I was like, why do both of these girls like him? He. <laughs> <laughs> He's <Yeah>. like. <laughs> uh, I feel like there are just so many more guys on this ship who seem more interesting. Uh, he can kill good, I guess. But <laughs> well, I think the,
1: I think the show, is like. I think there's key moments that we've already seen where the the show is like trying to establish that. Mm-hmm. Um, with like, you know the the first. The first episodes where Ina is like meeting Mika, like seeing and meeting Mika, um, yeah, the reasons why she's like moved by him or whatever, um, I think, are gestured at there, and uh, and then Atra, you know, we get some of the stuff in the. It's at least established that that there's like a standing yeah, uh, affection in the initially, and then here we get, yeah, we we the will background. get more
0: detail in, in in a few episodes, but. Yeah, I mean, I agree um, in the I, sense I think that like, certain, Mika is... They, they are going to do more work, but I, I do feel like there's a certain intentionality of uh, playing with the inertia of an anime is that girls like the main character. And uh, Mika, for all intents and purposes, even as I think Orca is more often the focal main character is the Gundam boy is the boy who gets into the Gundam who, who would be the, uh, the main chosen, character, the chosen, boy. Yeah, the chosen main character boy um, of a Gundam show. Uh, and so I think there are ways that they're uh, playing with that, that we can maybe talk about when we get into more details around, like, I think that we can talk about that maybe when we get to episode 13, how I feel about Mika, cause I feel like we'll have the most behind him. Um, but I, right yeah i i agree the show is like first of all the
1: the show is definitely playing with that and i think the ultra like aina uh, i don't want to call it a triangle b- because you know it's it's it that kind of implies the the tension that you were just you know we're just talking yeah. about is just like kind of dispelled yeah um here it's a triangle
0: shaped polycule
1: <laughs> yeah there we go um So yes, it's playing with, you know, him being this chosen boy and then the kind of like narrative, um, the, the effect that that has on the narrative and like, oh, you know, of course the women like him. Um, but I think it's also, I think the, the depth of characterization in this show, uh, so far, um, has been fairly impressive, uh, especially with Ina, um. I think she's a great character and there's a lot of subtlety and depth to her. Um, yeah. So show... I think the show, I think the show is Ina's initial attraction to Mika. I think the show is presenting that there is a fair amount of projection going on uh, yeah. from Ina. Like there are reasons why she's drawn to Mika initially Um, that like are complex and i think the show presents in a critical way uh subtle but critical um and then like the various like the development of those affections into something um that's like a little bit more substantiated by their actual like knowledge of each other uh is also like drawn um that arc is drawn like reasonably coherently yeah um but still sometimes it's like mika is so like yeah he's so like oblivious um and like non-reciprocating yeah that sometimes it is like just jarring to have you know get so much content about like aina and mika feeling so strongly about him and then he's just like completely (laughs) unreceptive um it is a little bit jarring, but I think it's, I think all of the, I think it's substantiated though.
0: Yeah. And especially as it goes on. And so again, I think there's like a, an intentionality and also a paralleling happening where, um, we keep sort of jumping the gun, but we are going to get more backstory on Atra and why she likes Mika. And once you get that, I'll you, you understand that there is a lot of history between them. Um, where this affection that she has for him makes a lot of sense. Um, and then Kudelia, I think the show is very good at, at, um, giving you these suggestions and showing you where you can kind of imagine how, um, she is this rich girl who at the beginning of the show is like, yes, I want to like, see the truth. Um, I want to like go and be among the masses basically. Um, and then one of the first people she meets is, uh, this sort of, uh, taciturn, slightly younger than her, but not by much boy, um, who seems to just be like fully, uh,
1: representative of like what she's,
0: yeah. Like the, their first interaction being like, will not shake her hand, which at first seems like an affront to her, then gets slipped around into this, like, um, it's because my hands are dirty and I am like recognizing that you're above me. Um, and all of this is like stuff that uh, you could see sort of putting her onto the back foot, but in a way where um, sometimes psychologically, like the way that someone will will develop with that is like developing a fascination with this this person who is challenging them in, in many different ways. And like a, a way to approach it is this like budding interest that can take the form as of, of affection or like attraction. Um, and then we're going to get, I think development that shows how like a relationship starts to form out of that. Um, as these episodes go on, but, uh, yeah, so a lot of the the initial like uh, attraction that she seems to have to him, um, I think a lot of it is sort of coming from this like, oh, what uh, you know, it, it is almost that uh, that thing that like people will talk about of uh, a lot of especially like sheltered girls that that like bad boy like not that like Meek is a bad boy in that same sense, but he's like a he's like brooding the, and yeah. like
1: <laughs> and and has like e- like that energy that yeah. like.
2: Yeah, in
0: the in the way that a James Dean figure can exist among a bunch of like enslaved child soldiers, he's sort of the James Dean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, where he's like really good at fighting um, and seems to have convictions, but also is like kind of hard to read and understand. He's uh, a little bit like dark and brooding. Uh, also, also like, will say things that slightly disarm you. Um, yeah,
1: and like it- insightful. Yeah, um, like j- like indicating more depth um, and also yeah. like you know this gravitas um, yeah, so yeah, all, all of that is definitely there. Um, yeah. and I, I think we'll we can kind of um, obviously this relationship is a, is a big deal in the show so we can move over the the timeline um, as we like continue the the discussion. And, yeah. and flesh more of it out, and um, how it ties together. Uh, I think you um, did a, a good job of like set, uh, framing all of the um, tachyon and the turbines, yeah. and how oh, that relation works.
0: Before, and you might have other stuff to say with this, but there, there's a thing that I was about to say, but you're in the middle of a point, and I I didn't want to just like fully interrupt you. Oh no, um, go for it. But. Uh, this was around some of the stuff that's being developed with like how uh Mika and uh, is being developed how like we're getting these little thing look glimpses into Cudelia's uh growing attraction to him things like that um is I think that this show is very good at having very short uh, cutaways to a character um and it is a dialogueless scene uh, it is a character simply looking at something or uh, moving moving around or something in some way that is revealing stuff around that character. Uh, one thing that doesn't come up at all in these, um, synopses, because that's kind of, even if I was writing all of these out as I was watching it, the scenes often happen so fast. Um, but like a thing that I don't think got put in any of these, um, and I forget what episode it happens in. Uh, there's a part where Cudelia gives a matching necklace. I think this is after they go Mm -hmm. to, to Saisei. Um, cause they're able to go shopping there and gives a matching necklace to, to Fumitan. And we've gotten like cuts to Fumitan where she like, um, seems to be looking at something or like, she seems to be like, uh, slightly nervous or and deep reflection. Yes. Uh, and when she gets the necklace, there's a part where she's not wearing it. She has it on the count, uh, console and she's sort of looking at it, um, and reflecting on it. Uh, there are moments where people will show, um, like, Kindness towards her where she seems slightly taken aback or hesitant or reflecting on that. Um, Or like pained. Yes. And we really don't know what's going on with her. Um, We don't know like basically any of her backstory. All we've really gotten is that um, she is like the, the, you know, maid servant to, to Cudelia. Um, And now it's like working communications for the ship. Yeah. but we're already getting this like characterization around her where we are going to get, you know, minor spoilers. We are going to get more details about her in coming episodes. Um, And some of that stuff will be played a little bit as a a surprise, but also is already being gestured at or, or pointed towards here where um, what's going on with her is coming up as a, a sort of a question. Um, And, we're getting these little moments where we sort of see her often alone too, um, having these moments of like reflection and things. And I think this is just one example. There's lots of other characters. I think where, where we see this including like one off guys who are going to show up in one episode and die in the next. Cause they're just like on the enemy team. Uh, we'll still get these little kind of sides where we get a little bit of characterization around them. And I think the show's really good at doing that stuff um, in a way that yeah. shows aren't always. So um there's definitely
1: i think this is a show that that is worth watching carefully um because the editing there's a a very like there's a moment that i'm very excited to talk about later um where uh there's a very small like editing choice um that's a cutaway like you're talking about uh that carries a tremendous amount of wait um or like helps convey something that's i think really uh an important um like theme in the show um before we move on from this i just want to like i guess i have a couple comments uh but first i want to touch quickly on Ina. like one last comment um i think like last discussion episode i tried to lay out all of the stuff that I think is going on with Ina. And afterwards I felt like I did it in kind of like a bumbling way. Um, But suffice it to say, like I'll I'll just like stand on all of that and say like Ina has all of these. um, Obviously she has a lot of things that, that she just has to weigh. um, But she also has, she's at the intersection of a lot of different, um like forces and uh that she's like contending with um but also like i think the show is attentive to the fact that um in spite of being like this um in, sp- in spite of being like at the uh juncture of all these tensions and having to like contend with them she's also a 17 year old girl Um, yeah who is like quietly um because she's like has all of this to deal with uh quietly but still like coming to terms with her own sexuality and like realizing her sexuality as well um so all this stuff with mika like is um is is tied into that um so the fact that like I don't think it's entirely um, uh, a critical portrayal where, you know, she has this like projection uh, in her like initial attraction to Mika. It's just that the show is like uh, representing how like all of these different forces are uh, at work um, like on her. Uh, And, and this is like it's, Influencing, but also, like, enabling uh, certain forms of, like, uh, relationships and, like, growth as she's um, trying to, uh, like, negotiate her sexuality, which all of the characters, or at least all of the people in Tekedon are shown to be doing. Um, Yeah. The thing with the turbines, you already, like, said a lot on that, so um, I... Uh, obviously that's relevant but I think you've like sufficiently covered that um all I'll say is that um it is like a complete reckoning with uh gender sexuality and adulthood for everyone in Tekkenon yeah. um, to encounter like the turbines um and the person that I want to talk about in specific is atra um i think uh so obviously uh, we get a lot more about atra in this um section of episodes uh obviously atra is still like just a young girl I think she's 14. D- is that what we established last time
0: yeah I forget if they're again all of these ages are um a little bit nebulous but like probably like 14 15 I think um
1: so like 14 15
0: um her body like
1: you know we see that the turbines often like they're in various states of well, the fr- episode seven starts with laughter in like a state of undress. Yeah. Um, Amida wears like a very revealing outfit that like it emphasizes their curves, um, and their their body. Um, Atra, like her body doesn't look like that, um, and she doesn't like perform femininity or sexuality in the same way. Yeah, um, she's
0: typically wearing like a uh, like hoodie and things. You know, yeah,
1: like fully covered. Yeah. Um, she doesn't really have like not know- appear to have much knowledge of sex. Um and she doesn't like project her like sexuality or or like express it um in the way that we see like you know we often see Naze like kissing Amida. Um we see the turbines like talking about sex, um, using like innuendos and stuff. Yeah. Um But a key like moment uh or a key thing that happens here is that Atra now like sees herself through the eyes of like the men in Tekedon. Um Because there there's uh, one scene in specific where like the Tekedon men or, or boys are like talking about the, um, the turbines and being like, Oh, you know, like we want women, blah, blah, blah. Um, and basically being like, Oh, Atra, you're not, like you know you're not a woman like that like you're not um like sexually viable in that way um and so atro like has this struggle with her perceived like lack of womanhood um or really like these gendered and bodily traits that um like seem to define it um but obviously like this perceived definition is like received through her perception of like uh the male perspective because it's based on like um it's this anxiety about like the men around her are desiring uh the turbines because they have these like sexual characteristics and this sexual performance um that she doesn't have um and so she's like realizing or uh becoming afraid that she's like not desirable in the same way. And that that somehow is like, um, I think the show is like, um, portraying this as her struggling with, um, her own, like, um, femininity. Uh, so in this way, like the turbines, presents this crisis, um, this reckoning with gender that, uh, the turbines create is this like crisis for Atra. Uh, but then we get this scene, which we were talking about earlier um, with Atra and Amida, um, where they're talking about some of this stuff. Um, and Amida is like, oh, you'll be a good wife as long as you don't choose the wrong man. Um, but uh, in the course of this conversation, like affirming uh Atra's, like femininity. Um, so we end up getting like this kind of affirmation or uh, affirmation from the, the turbines, or at least from Amida, um, for Atra. And then that, like, uh, that conversation then leads into what you pointed out, which is, um, this vision that Atra has of like, oh, well, you know, I can be with Mika. Um, this more like concrete, um, realization of like an an affirmation of her own like ability uh to be with Mika. Yeah. Um so there's a whole like arc that's happening here with Atra well, and just like a, you know a few episodes.
0: Yeah, uh, and that's also that's very interesting. resistance to this idea that like um that that so so often you would get this trope play out of like uh her just being like deeply jealous of Kudelia for having big breasts and you know, whatever Uh, this stuff happens in so many anime Um, and it being like, Oh, how can I ever compete with her? That kind of stuff. Um, And this all just gets like kind of sidestepped by her just being like, I like coming to this conclusion that is i don't have to view her as competition i don't have to compare my body uh and my like viability to kudelia in order to still have like a a, um
1: to like be a woman and to like yeah yeah. And,
0: and to like create a relationship and that um the the relationship that we both have to Mikazuki does not have to be one that puts us at odds or in, or in competition with each other. Um which is like uh for especially a lot of anime tropes. Um I think there's like a, a fair amount of subversion that's happening in that in that jump from like taking the the harem anime trope um and then this like love triangle trope and then uh putting them together and arriving at this different conclusion. Um as I think interesting and you know i i like that the show does it and uh, um i think we can talk about how it continues on but um yeah i forgot that it happened this early i thought it was like <laughs> yeah possibly even season two where she like comes to this conclusion and i'm i'm just like glad that we don't have uh, a season to wait them, for like it. fighting yeah one to, to wait for it and two like to potentially have them like at odds constantly around this um yeah. which is um, not to say that i i I don't remember exactly how this develops, but, um, obviously even in that sort of arrangement, there can still be like tensions that occur. Um, but I do think it's, it's getting at something more interesting to explore. Um, rather than it just being, uh, Atra feels inferior to Cadalia and worries that she won't be able to, you know, uh, have a relationship with Mika as a result. And Mika has to choose between the two girls. It's not setting up that scenario at all. Um, So we can talk about how that develops, but uh, at least in Atra's point of view, um, that's that isn't an issue. So yeah, Um, but yeah. Suffice it to say, there's
1: like this whole arc. Um, It's not just with Atra, but I bring up Atra because I I think that uh, she's a good example, and a lot is happening with her character. Yeah. Um, the The other thing about this is that there's like the the position of like family in relation to all of this stuff that, that we're kind of talking about with Atra, um, I think something interesting is potentially happening in the show where it's like the relationship between like the, the realization of like gender and like sexuality. Yeah. And then that happening within the context of like a family um there's like a facilitation that it happens with uh, you know, Amida and Atra here. Yeah. Um, where something about like the context of the family is like facilitating this like free um and like satisfactory uh realization of like sexuality and gender uh that I don't know. Like, I don't. I. I don't feel like this series is done with this. And maybe I'm like off on. Um, maybe I'm you know reading too much into it. Um, but there's some sort of relationship that is like drawn here between, like the context of the family as like it seems like potentially like an enabling, um, or facilitating, like factor for. These things around like gender and sexuality, um, which you know, we'll see how we like feel about <laughs> about that idea if, if, in fact, it is um happening, but I, I don't yeah. know if you like had the the same thoughts when you were watching this,
0: yeah, um, well, I think some of it is also tying into like, There are these ways that, like, Takedon is presented as uh, something that can be liberatory or um, freeing in some way that I think is going to continue to get developed. Um, Also, like... Like, the
1: family as, like, a, like, structure of, like, freedom. Yes. Or, like,
0: Yeah. Well, and in ways that are, are, I think, also going to get paralleled to other constructions of family. This is, like, a specific construction of family that is this, like, uh, very, like, large um, accepting form of family. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we can talk about how that gets, like, uh, I think, uh, paralleled with other family structures um, in later episodes. But I don't want to. Fully going to it now. Um, one other thing in this, uh, I think this will get touched on a little bit more in like episode nine and, and episode 10. Um, but I want to call attention to it here cause I, I know it starts here. Um, and this can also maybe get us into, uh, doing this, the synopsis for episode nine then. Yep. Um, but also part of what's happening, I think that's interesting with, um, the turbines being introduced and now having all these boys interested in the ship full of girls. um, And then also stuff that will happen in episode nine uh, is you also start to get uh, in a way that was not really present in the ship before uh, conversations where where some of the boys are very specifically interested in sex and girls and things like that. And then you get other characters who are specifically saying, I'm not that that interested in girls, Uh, Mm -hmm. including Orga is one who says it. Um, There's another one who doesn't seem interested. uh, And I want to specifically call him out um i don't even remember his name uh sort of a minor character uh but in these first i forget if it's episode seven or episode eight um we see a part where uh i think it's shino is is the the other it's part.
1: shino and i have his name in here because i because i noticed the same yeah. thing
0: and wanted to talk about it um, um and so there's um, a yomagi. there's a uh what's his name yomagi yeah, Yamagi, I think. Uh so there's a part very early on where uh Shino touches Yamagi's hand and he seems to react around that. Um and then later on, uh I think this is actually in episode nine, um, when Shino is expressing interest in women, uh Yamagi seems to kind of uh like scoff and and be upset at this. Um so I I think this is uh I think Yamagi in particular is the the biggest thing that's pointing at uh you know homoerotic tensions or or homosexual characters in the show. Um I think from these scenes it's uh one can can possibly conclude that Yamagi has a crush on Shino. I agree. Um and then this is also uh being contrasted with Orga who I think it was also one of the characters stating not interested in girls. Um, and we can maybe talk about more because, um, we don't get as much of like him showing in the way that Yamagi shows, uh, some potential interest in one of the boys on the ship. I Aside from maybe Mika, Orga is not really, um, expressing as clear of like, uh, desire, I guess, um, in the way that Yamagi seems to, um, so we can also talk about what, what does it mean that Orga doesn't seem to be interested in girls? but uh, as the show goes on, I don't know how much we have right now. Um, yeah.
1: Um, well, with that, do you want to move into episode nine? Um, yeah.
0: Oh, is this me? Yeah. Yeah. This, this one's here. Uh, Episode name is Sakazuki. Uh, so the turbines sky Tekadon into Saisei, a large planetary cruiser and headquarters of Tewaz. Naze introduces Tekadon to McMurdo Barristan, um, and convinces Barristan to hold a ceremony for Orga to swear a Sakazuki blood oath to Naze uh, and make Tekadon full fledged members of Teiwaz. Um, meanwhile, the members of Tekadon and uh, the Turbines interact and become closer with one another. Um, Akihiro continues training with Lofter, um, and is kind of aggravating her with his, uh, relentlessness. Um, and we also see like Atra cooking with, uh, Ozzy and Amida. Uh, so there's like some integration happening between these two ships, uh, to some extent. Um, this is, I believe where we get the conversation. This is where I, I inserted it between Amida and Atra, um, about food and you know uh a man being defined by the love that he has to give and steak versus bread and things like that we already talked about that mm-hmm. um elsewhere in space uh we see mcgillis uh who i have a if you had to compare mcgillis to a character in original gundam who would you compare him to I, I don't know if you Char. have somebody already. Shar, okay. I was yeah. wondering how clear it is that like McGillis is kind of the Shar character. Yeah, Shar is like um, yeah,
1: or, not Shar. McGillis is like the genius like antagonist. Yeah, who's going to be like the alternate threat.
0: Um. Yeah, a little bit of Shar, a little bit of Quattro. <laughs> um. But I mean, yeah, maybe. As, it, yeah. Um. We'll talk about how that some of that Megillus stuff develops, but yeah, Shar yeah. is definitely the the comparison happening here. I think. Um, but uh also in a uh like uh seed will introduce a char character and you know it's a char character because uh he's an antagonist wearing a mask with with blonde hair long blonde <laughs> hair and you're like uh-huh. okay okay, <laughs> um yeah okay that's a shark <laughs> like it's more around the aesthetics um mcgillis does have the blonde hair but i feel like it's less immediately the aesthetics and more some of the, you know, you don't immediately see him the first episode he shows up and go, that's the Shar, Um, but yeah, I think at this point you can start gathering that he's kind of the Shar character here. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, elsewhere in space, McGillis, um, and his comrades in Gatlahern are still pursuing leads on Takedon and Cudelia. Um, Ein, who is the, the subordinate, uh, subordinate of Lieutenant, uh, Crank, um, he is now the personal subordinate of gailio uh the blue-haired uh you know galahern yeah galahern guy. guy um and uh ein remains hellbent on avenging uh lieutenant croncent um then uh back on say the meeting concludes and naze uh notifies orga uh, that he was able to sell Tekedon's commercial properties um to raise a lot of money it's basically like that a lot of the stuff that um he was trying to set up that trade earlier uh, in the previous episodes that stuff gets sold um there's some stuff that sells really well and then there's a lot of junk um but they do they do get a, a decent amount from this um he also suggests that Tekadon celebrate while it has the chance while they're on this um you know, space colony. I guess this is kind of a space colony episode, uh, mm-hmm. to some extent. Um, McMurdo uh, meets with Kudelia and explains to her that her actions may cause a war. Uh, that she's not just going to show up and everyone's going to be like, "Oh yeah, freedom for Mars." Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: yeah, we're done. Like we accept the outcome of this. We're yeah. never going to try to like reset the power boundaries ever again.
0: Yeah. Um <laughs> and uh, <laughs> offers to appoint uh, Teiwaz itself in the place of Tekadon uh, to aid the freedom movement. Um, sort of like. V- tay will take over instead of deck um mika is sort of uh i think present in the room during this um and notes because uh kudelia is sort of hesitating and saying she needs to think things over um he makes this connection to the first time that he killed someone um and that like making this choice to like uh take wives and that she is having the same experience where she has to make a choice that could lead to war and could lead to death um so she leaves the meeting and is still undecided. Um, then uh, celebrating the induction into Tewas, Orga buys uh, sweets for the younger Tekadon members. Uh, we'll get a little scene later uh, that didn't end up in the, the synopsis, but that, uh, you know, is also a good little moment where um, I think it's Ride, Ride Moss, yes, it is. who uh, saves all of his sweets, doesn't eat them because when the little ones start crying, then it's like good to give them to them uh and you know i think is seeing a little bit of himself in that um as like this person trying to like step up and watch out for the younger brothers um but anyway uh younger tecadom members are given sweets um, then he takes the older ones out in the town uh he drinks himself sick um on this like night of drinking and then uh strongly uh implied we don't actually see it depicted but um that also sort of the money goes towards the number of the boys going and spending the night with sex workers um we do get talk later on of like people's first time or whatever mm-hmm. um, meanwhile uh Tewaz engineers uh there's like one guy in particular who's just uh you don't know turn A, but it's kind of the turn A guy uh, there's this Ternay guy who's like uh it's small like the with kooky crazy hair scientist yeah kooky scientist guy uh he's great in Ternay. this is just a random engineer but um he's all excited to work on uh Barbados um and it's like we're gonna like tune it to perfection we basically have like infinite Tewaz, like said spare no expense and I'm so excited to be able to do this work um so. Uh, Barbados is going to get suited up. Um, going to get some cool upgrades for, for the, the next few episodes. <laughs> um, before the Sakazuki ceremony begins, uh, Kudelia announces that she's made a decision that she's going to stay with Tekadon in order to honor all of those who, who died protecting her. Um, and also kind of, just, we'll, we'll get more around like family stuff here too, but I think this is also in play here, even though I don't know if she's fully aware of it at this point. Um, then uh, Naze is preparing like basically the scrolls that are going to be hung up during the ceremony uh, and has written his name and Orga's name in kanji. Um, one note here. Uh, so Naze's, uh, like Naze is written with a character that would mean like uh, rapids or like swift current um which would point towards like turbine as like a you know uh water thing um but then his last name uh has both like a uh, snake or serpent and then like a uh, bottle or jar or jug which could be like snake in a jug which could pr- point towards the pronunciation of turban <laughs> uh mm-hmm. in like a, a slightly different way um then uh another note here um i think this this stuff doesn't like really get highlighted in the um actual subtitles there's one part that's going to get highlighted um but so um well i guess i'll say uh as i explain this stuff uh mikazuki's there and um you know sees this writing and is like oh like what's this writing form how would you write my name this way because previously um i don't know if because i i'm watching it on crunchyroll if in the original it was like uh in katakana or something that they are writing or if it's always been in romanji if it's always been like uh you know roman characters uh that kudeli is teaching them um but uh definitely not kanji and so uh orga thinks and write figures out a way to write uh mikazuki's name um in kanji and uh, it's then noted uh, Orga and Mika share the same character, which is pronounced uh, Ga, but would normally be read as uh, Ware. It's like an archaic uh, personal pronoun for I, um, like me, the self. Um, could also be read as like Ego, um, especially because of its like archaic connotations. Uh, so that's like Oruga and then uh, Aogas, like the ga so in, in their names. Um, but I, I just want to note a few of the other things that show up in these names. Um, so Orga, um, the O in the name is like one that's usually used as like the, the honorific, like the, uh, O that would happen before, um, you know, a, a God's name or something like, uh, Okami. Um, it's sort of a thing that's pointing towards an honorific. Um, and then, uh, the, Ru is like uh, to like de- detain or stop um, or halt. Um, and then obviously the ga is uh, the ware, the eye. The um, Itsuka has uh, a couple different things in it. Um, one of them is like to intimidate, or like, uh, and I would say it's like maybe a, a way to think of it is like awesome. In the, the like almost biblical sense where it can be the, like yeah, kind of scary, sense. but yeah. But also like uh has this sense of like majesty or or dignity to it. Um but is also like a little bit scary or intimidating or threatening. Um then it has a character for uh like a metropolis or a capital city. Um and then the the most interesting one is the final character, the ka in Itzka. Um that is the exact same character that appears in Tekadon for flower. So like Iron Flower Brigade is Tekadon when you write it out in kanji. Um, that same uh, flower character shows up in Itzka's name. Um, and then Mikazuki, um, uh, a note here, the so Mikazuki is already in kanji, and it's the word for crescent moon. Uh, it's like three-day moon. Um, this is actually interestingly paralleled with uh, Itzka, where um, the way that it's written out here is differently. But... Is it's also a word that means uh five days or like the fifth day or can be used to mean like someday or eventually. Um, and so you got like the three day moon, five days eventually. Um, but the three day moon is the crescent moon, it's like right after the new moon, three days after. Um, and so that's what Mikazuki is, and then August, um, the the is, uh, oh, at the beginning, meaning like a king or a monarch, uh, but also paralleling a little bit with Orga, uh, the, the G, uh, the GA in August, uh, being that Ware, I myself. And then the last one, um, the Sioux being owner or like master or Lord or something like that. So, um, there are other ones. If you, if you really look, there are like ways that you can find some of the other characters, um, I think like uh laughter has uh like wandering or like reckless in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but yeah. Um those are the the main ones I think. Um, yeah, so. it's
1: uh, it's always good to to look at at that um mm-hmm. cuz sometimes we don't um necessarily like dig into the names as much because it entails um you know talking about like Japanese and kanji. Um
0: yeah. But it it is like especially with them calling attention to this shared character. Um presenting the to look yeah. in a little bit more and and see what else I could find that was sort of showing up in there. Yeah. Um, and
1: like presenting the the names um so so promptly yeah. and explicitly in kanji.
0: Um, but yeah, Mika says that he prefers this to the writing that Kudelia was teaching him because it's pretty. Um, and then, uh, the Sakazuki ceremony begins. Um, this is straight out of a Yakuza movie. Just everyone sitting in their, um, yukadas or whatever. I, I forget exactly which, um, you know, ceremonial outfit they're wearing. Um, it's a little bit, I feel like there's like ties. They have like, uh, you know, a necktie as part of it. It's kind of a weird mm, mix. Yeah, I don't think. remember. Um but then they also have the like uh I feel like a uh obi or whatever tied around them. Uh but anyway, um the ceremony begins. There's the, you know, drinking the cups and everything and they're sworn as brothers. Um so Orga and, and Naze become brothers and in a sense there's a, a further family happening here. definitely yeah um and then family all around yeah and then afterwards (laughs) uh the hammerhead and the uh take off for earth
1: uh
0: and let's let's do episode 10 um, okay yeah i think we can do both of these yeah um and then we'll do the last three in the end
1: uh episode 10 a letter from tomorrow uh so uh as the hammerhead and isuribi are um, leaving Saisei, uh Mika, and uh, Old Man Yukinojo. Nojo. Uh, they always call him Old Man. Um, yeah. It's it's uh, quite amusing. Um, stay behind on Saisei until the Teiwa's engineers are finished working on Barbados. Uh, all the other members of Tekedon, uh, obviously, are on um, the E3B. Uh, everyone, um, well... Uh, not everyone. Some messages from Mars are received. Um, Orga receives one, um, kind of like an update uh, from the Mars branch, where Dexter, uh, our, our good old friend Dexter, uh, notifies Orga <laughs> that everything is going well. Um, Dexter seems to be having a good time. Um, maybe he's decided that he he does like to be at mm. Um. So Dexter is kind of like, yep, everything's going great. Um, Gellar Horton hasn't attacked us. Um, and we're just, you know, we have the money now, so we're good to go. Um, and, uh, Biscuit and Takaki, uh, receive videos from their families. Um, both of yeah. them, um, they kind of, oh, go ahead. If you want to interject. Well, both
0: of them are getting stuff from their, their younger sisters. Uh, Biscuit has the, the twins and cracker who we saw previously. Um, and then I forget Takaki's sister's name. Um, but also as a younger sister and they kind of talk with each other about like, we're getting money th- from this. We're sending it home. Um, you know, I think Takaki is the one who's talking about how uh, with the money, he was able to put his sister in an orphanage at least. Um, and is hoping to save up money to to send her to school. And yeah, also is kind of hoping this for cookie and cracker. Um,
1: yep. Um, so they kind of connect um in this moment. Uh, and, and also obviously again, we're getting, um, a deepening of the family like theme we're we're seeing in all of these different instances of family. Um, uh, and then, uh, to continue this, uh, we cut to Kudelia who is watching a message from her mother, um, who is sending her this, um, this like kind of wooden message, um, yeah. asking her to like return home
0: um, it's so dangerous why don't you just come home yeah
1: and <laughs> just- cordelia like ends the message before finishing it mm-hmm. um because at this point she's just like so resolved um not only does she like um she doesn't trust her parents anymore um she's kind of aware that her father was it. she remarks on it later um in this episode but um, yeah um Yeah, not only does she not trust her parents, but she's just like grown at this point and resolved. Like she's not going to go back. She and she can't go back. Um, Later, uh, Naze meets with Orga and others to talk about their next move. Um, uh, He explains that they kind of um, uh, to navigate to Earth, they're going to have to follow the turbines lead around the Ariadne system. Um, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but. Um, it's basically like uh like a, a navigation system, like a system of waypoints that's run by Gaellerhorn uh um, yeah, so they have to w- work around this to avoid their route being discovered by Galaellerhorn um he also introduces the group to Mirabit Stapleton, uh a representative from terwaz that will join Tekkenon as an order from McMurdo. um we recognize Mirabit because Orga had met her previously when he was drinking on the town um she kind of uh sees him in the the state of like drunkenness where he's throwing up um yeah and gives him uh her handkerchief i just want to say up. that
0: shot of Orga throwing up and then Mika just like putting his hand on his back is so good <laughs> it is it's a great scene <laughs>
1: yeah um but uh so Orga is kind of like uncomfortable on, on several levels uh, that are worthy of unpacking. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, in this moment, he's uncomfortable with Mirabit uh, and with the idea of her joining the group. Cudelia, uh, uh, meanwhile, Cudelia finds Atra in the kitchen where they talk about their families. Um, Atra now starts to give some of her backstory. Uh, she explains that she is an orphan gonna draw attention to this one
0: mm-hmm. um
1: who was abused while working in a brothel um where she mostly did chores for the for the older girls um again, you touched on this earlier, but you know she she was too young to like um, to do the other type of work that happens there.
0: Yeah. um,
1: so she was like you know in this um position where she was like abused and, and doing chores yeah um, we get and, and we get
0: like her being hit um and we also and, hear stuff about how like shouldn't be given food if she didn't work right and things like that yeah um,
1: yeah so she's being like abused like through starvation yeah um so one day she she ran away and encountered Mikazuki um on the street uh mika is like eating a sandwich when she sees him um and he's like perceiving that she wants it but he is like territorial and is like no i we to to buy this um and then just like eats it all in front of her uh but um in spite of that he quickly um reconsiders he he kind of sees that she's like um in in danger of like maybe starving to death that she's really yeah. suffering um and so he goes to the store um where he bought the sandwich and like gives the, the shopkeeper or the store owner, Hana um, all of his money. And is like, um, I don't know what this will buy, but like just whatever you have. Um, And then draws Hana's attention to like Atra. um, And Hana is like, you know, kind of steps in, um, takes Atra in, uh, hires her. um, And then eventually like kind of comes to view her, uh, or view them like as um or at least Atra. I mean I it says them but um
0: yeah. We'll just well, say Hana
1: develops a close relationship. Yeah. I think with- like
0: uh specifically it's I think atra talks about like um, Mika feeling like this first person who is like part of her family and then um mm-hmm. Hana sort of becomes this like mother figure uh, I think it's like a guy in the shop over who sort of becomes fatherly um things like that like sort of talking about like you know I was this orphan but now through this uh with like Mika being the the first instigating person I started like having these people who I viewed as my family
1: yep um, Kudeli is hearing this and is like, um, I don't know if the word is envious, but she's like moved. <laughs> and like, there,
0: there is a part where she is like, um, you know, wow, that's a really sad story. I have it harder as a rich person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, being like a, I'm being like overly joking, but there, there is a part here where, uh, especially the, when she first starts talking, it almost feels insensitive. And then she talks a little bit more about it. And, um, You know, I think people could still scoff a little bit at Cudelia's response, being like, "You're an abused orphan in a uh, brothel," but that sounds that sounds great compared to what I have. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) rich girl. Um, but yeah, yeah, there is
1: like, you know, Cudelia. This is like a part of Cudelia's character, so there is that aspect. Um, Yeah, but I think the main thrust of it, like what Cudelia is really like. She ultimately conveys what she's really feeling, which is, like, um, she's moved by the fact that Atra, like, has this family she can trust, um, because she truly cannot trust her own family, um, since her father, like, tried to kill her. Um, And uh, Atra is like, oh, you know, that's not how it should be. Um, You know, fathers should cherish their daughters. Uh, and it's kind of going down that road and then like pivots and is like but yeah, you know it,
0: there's almost a moment at the beginning of her being like oh i'm sure you're you're you know dads love their daughters i'm sure that that can't be true i'm sure that can't be, are, true. Yeah, yeah. Sure that can be true and then being like mm, no wait actually and then yeah pivots to um actually we're you're you're a part of the Tekadon family now like yeah. this is your family now um so there
1: there is something where like both of them kind of have to like They have an initial response to each other, and then they have to like check that and then, yeah, like realize that, like, kind of see the bigger picture,
0: yeah, Um, or move to like a greater empathy. Not to bring up uh Nana, but uh, Atra's reaction had a little bit of that, like, um, the stuff around Shin where uh hachi is like oh i'm sure if you went home your family would miss you and stuff um like just seeing it as like ran away from home but your home is like your your parents would be loving um yeah like you're
1: you're, i'm you're you're lucky your mother died instead of abandoning you (laughs) type of
0: um yeah yeah uh and then but nana sees shin's situation in the moment he's like uh you know, pushes back on having a a good home life. She's just like, yeah, I know how it is. Sometimes, sometimes your family just fucking hates you and you have shitty parents. Um, I'm not going to press any further. I feel like there's a little bit of shift that has to happen in Atra from like, Oh, I'm sure your family loves you too. Hmm. Actually, maybe that's not true, but we are your family now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think on both sides,
1: there's like a shift, a shift that happens and it, I actually think this is kind of a, a meaningful like scene between the two mm-hmm. of them in like the development
0: of that relationship where they well, both and this have is like also a- right after this is when Atra is like, uh, well, if we're family then, and the turbines are family, then we can both just love Mika and it's fine. Um, yep. <laughs> so, um,
1: yeah. So there's some significance to this scene. Yeah. Um, you already anticipated the next part of the synopsis, which is like Atra, you know, um, comes to this conclusion. Um, meanwhile, Akihiro trains using the simulator in Laughter's mobile suit. Uh, she tells Akihiro that his fighting style has gotten much less reckless uh, and commends him for it. Um, I think there's some stuff, you know, in the last couple episodes as well, like building up to this with Akihiro kind of being yeah. like accepting um, allowing himself to like feel uh, connected and like um, affirmed, like valued at with, with Tekkenon. Um, yeah. uh Afterwards, Akihiro heads out on patrol and allows uh, Takaki to join him um, because, um, as established in the earlier conversation between uh, Takaki and uh, Biscuit, Takaki wants to take on wants to like learn more uh so he can take on other jobs and get paid more um yeah. to send his sister to uh to school. Um so, also
0: in some of this conversation that's going to happen between Akihiro and Takaki is going to um intensify this but I feel like even before this you get a little bit of um Akihiro specifically being sort of a big brother to Takaki. Uh mm-hmm. but this is going to get I think more intensified in the the scene when they're on patrol.
1: Absolutely. Um, so while they're on patrol, um, they talk about their families uh, and Akihiro uh, reveals that he actually, he used to have a brother named Masahiro uh, before they were captured by pirates. So they were not originally um, you know, born as human debris. Um, their parents were killed in like a pirate raid. Um, they were kidnapped and like sold off as human debris, uh, but separated in the process. And uh, Takaki assures Akihiro Um, that if he continues down his path, he will see Masahiro again. Um, there's a kind of like naivete to this. Um,
0: Yeah. Akihiro is like, I'm like, I just, I haven't thought of him for a while. And I just kind of assume he's dead at this point. Yeah. Um, And
1: Takaki's like, no, you'll definitely meet him again. And it's like, mm -hmm. Takaki, like that might, you know, what's the likelihood of that, um, but apparently, <laughs> apparently Takaki's right.
0: Um, yeah. because uh, Takaki knows that he's in an anime. <laughs> 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 yeah, Takaki is spot spot on. Yeah, Takaki's um, like, I see the flags being thrown up here. Uh, you're gonna meet your brother real soon.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's like, if you continue down this path, you will see Masahiro again. And by yeah. this path, I mean continue <laughs> flying forward in this direction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and continue talking about your brother Masahiro who you assume is dead. <laughs> yeah. Um and as this is happening, uh
1: suddenly um Takaki and um Akihiro are attacked by three um uh man uh, Man-Rodi or mon rodi mobile suits. Um the triad quickly overwhelms Akihiro, uh, but he's rescued by the timely arrival of Mika in Barbados. Uh, who uh, quickly dispatches one of the um, one of the Manrodi suits?
0: Yeah, we'll talk about the the other suit that's going to show up soon. But I, I do want to just like quick note that the, the we're going to get multiple things that have this uh, rody frame as like the the basis. But it's kind of frog like I would describe. Um, this sort of it has like a very large round torso, and the head is like. Uh, you know, sort of part of the torso almost like it has like a neck where it can move around, but like the silhouette, the, the heads really just like in the torso. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it has like the, these, uh, arms and legs and it's screen too, which adds to the frog like, uh, appearance. Um, yeah, it, it's feet have like, uh, are mostly thrusters, but there's like two things where you could like imagine it landing on something to stand. Um, yeah, it's like a very compact, uh, frog-like design.
1: How do you feel about, well, I think I know the answer to this question, already. but how do you feel about the, the Gundams in this so far?
0: Um, like just the suits in general. Yeah. There's a distinction happening between like the suits generally, and then also Gundams, um, both in, uh, a lot of Gundam, but also this show. Um, there's definitely a, Uh, I feel like uh, it deviates a fair amount from a lot of, like, original Gundam stuff. Um, And often, like, uh, to a greater degree. um, Like, I feel like... Of other, uh, like, alternate universe or ultimate timeline stuff that I've seen, um, the... I, I feel like the, um, th- there's a lot of like direct taking, I guess like Turner has some stuff that is very specifically pulling from universal century designs. And then there are mm-hmm. some that are like, uh, very radically different. Um, <clears throat> let me just do like, uh, cause I know you're going to watch it some at some point. I don't want to show you like a bunch of stuff from it. Um, but let me show you, um, Oh, what are they called? The... <clears throat> oh, the the Wadum. Uh, This is the, the one I'll show you. Um, unfortunately, there's, like, no clear consensus on here. Um, and some of this is, like... I'm going to send this to you, and I know you've seen the Turn A Gundam before, because um, I, I showed you the... Uh, master grade kit that I built. Oh, okay. Um, but like, yeah. this is the Wadum, um, and it, I feel like it has like a similar design sensibility. Um, it's like uh has this like very specific uh vision of future. I think in a lot of mm-hmm. the the like designs, <clears throat> um, I feel like a lot of this stuff is like a lot of the suits in Iron Blooded Orphans is maybe pulling a little bit more from like Xeon designs. Than a lot of uh, like the Federation design stuff in yeah. Yeah, Universal Century, so. um, but also is like deviating a fair amount. Um, like nothing. These Roadies are like maybe the Zaku, but really they're a little Zaku esque. Yeah, <clears throat> but not like deeply. Like they feel mm-hmm. more frog-like. Whereas the like the Zaku is like uh, infamously just the the Barbarella poster. Do you know this? Uh-huh. Um, I think that's the poster. Yeah, let me let me just send you this. Um, specifically, it's the Zaku one. Is the Barbarella poster, but um, this is like it, it's not even like this is intentionally uh, has been talked about as the the influence. Here's the Alamy one, but it's a better resolution, and so just ignore all the Alamy watermarks. Uh, but like the guys in the background with the whips like this is why the zakus have whips because um, oh, it's like a direct reference armor. yeah, okay um so uh
1: I think I, yeah. I think I think I've seen like i I've seen this enough to like or, or I was familiar with it enough to know what you're talking about, but I didn't know it was like a direct basis.
0: Yeah, I think it was a direct basis. Interesting, um, but yeah, uh, uh, I in general I like the designs. Um, I mean, also this is the first Gundam that I I got into building Gunpla, so that's also influencing it. Um, I've I've definitely built more Gunpla from um, Iron Bladed Orphans than any other like single series, even even like. All of Universal Century at this point. <clears throat> um, I'm probably going to end up building more from Universal Century over time. But like when I first got There's into gunplay, it was the the high grade um, Iron blooded and stuff, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah. I in general, I think I I like the suits. Um, I feel like they they feel sufficiently different enough from again. Um, like I don't know if you have any uh, theories about h- how any of this might relate. We-, we get the stuff around the calamity war where Gundams existed and, uh, were part of ending the war. Um, we learned that, uh, Yatlahern either ended the war or is descended from the group that ended the war. Um, I think it's just talking about how they ended the war, but, uh, you know, there seems to be like a certain amount of information lost from, from before the calamity yeah. war. Um, so obviously right now there's some ambiguity there of like uh what was what exactly was the Calamity War, what was happening there. Um and uh Barbados is the one that feels the most distinctly like it is coming from even though it has very clear uh and thematically important, I think, for the show differences from Universal Century, it's the one that's the clearest, like this is a Gundam. This yeah. is they call it the White know. One. Yeah. Which is like Um you know,
1: I mean, that's <laughs> that's like victory Gundam stuff. It's like, oh, yeah. it's the white one, everyone knows what that means,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is also turn A stuff. Uh, the white doll comes up a bunch in, in okay, turn a as well.
1: That's not um, surprising,
0: yeah. Knowing um, the other, having
1: seen like all a lot of the other Tomino stuff,
0: yeah. Uh, but and like the the grazes that we've seen, um, I feel like they're a little bit more like uh blocky um and angular than than a lot of Xeon stuff, but do have the mono eye, uh specifically and things like that. So they're li- yeah, um, a little
1: more segmented. Like their blockiness is yeah. like more segmented instead of just like you know, like a Zaku where it's like Yeah. the, the Zaku itself is just like a kind of block, like a single whereas the the greases yeah. are a little more like, you know, um, like um, delineated the, the different parts of them.
0: Yeah. And some of this too is, uh, I forget it, is this the show where they talk about the neo laminate armor? Yeah. Or is that, am I thinking you would do it? The
1: yeah. Na- Nano laminate.
0: Yeah. Nano laminate. That's right. Um, yeah. So, uh, one of the, and I think this also comes down to like, this is the thing that I'm more aware of from building the, um, the kits, but like the primary gimmick. And it's actually, I think a fairly nice, um, like in in terms of just the construction of the kits for iron orphans is that even the high grades have internal skeletons. Um, most high grades, like if you build a, a high grade of a Zaku or something, you're literally like, there's some pieces that are going to construct the joint, but like the, the leg is going to be just the armor that you see is the leg. Like, those pieces are going to fit together. Um, the way that all of the Iron-Blooded Orphan kits work is you basically build the, the like, frame itself, the skeleton, and then all of the armor pieces get applied to that. You layer it on. So, yeah. So you have that being uh, added on as part of it. Um, and no, I we, think we, we see that with Barbados. yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a part where you see, um, and it is just like what it looks like if you get the the Master Grade that I, I built of uh, Barbados, um, where you see the the skeleton underneath and then the armor is applied. Um, and so like when I built it, it has you build like that entire skeleton and then put on the, the armor pieces. Um, the Master Grade is like very close to what you see standing there when all the armor is off. Um, before you add on the, the armor pieces for the kit. Um, but yeah, like if you look at the grays, like from behind, you can see where the like armor goes on and then where the like skeleton frame is underneath, uh, you know, like in the inside of the the thigh and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and so I think that's also part of the design. That's why everything feels more segmented is that you have these like very clear armor segments being applied to an inner skeleton. Um And so I I do like that. It gives it um, also, I think having everything be built around this idea of an inner skeleton um, emphasizes to some degree, like the, the um, yeah, the humanoid like armor being applied to a shape. Um, Even though it's not to the same extent as like Evangelion where, it's literally a human. Spoilers for Evangelion. It's literally a whole mass giant human in there. Uh, you know when Ultraman gets really big? It's like if that was a monster and it was just like the giant... Uh, it was just body-horred Ultraman yeah. into,
1: yeah. into Mecha.
0: Uh, it was just always big. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah. In general, yeah. I like these suits, but, um, there's also a certain amount to which, uh, they feel distinctively iron-blooded orphans to me, um, in sort of their designs.
1: Yeah. That just, um, it just reminds me of, like, the one time that I went on the, um, the Ava wiki, and it's, like, um, you pull up the entry for, like, uh... Like the you know Ava unit, and it's like Ava units also also known as
2: humans.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like okay, yeah, got it. Um, Uh, and then you pull up the the wiki or the entry for angels, and it's like angels also known as humans. It's like okay, yeah, gotcha. Um, Yeah, (laughs) uh,
0: that that's Uh.
1: an interesting place. Um, Anyway,
0: um, so anyway, let's actually talk about episodes nine and 10. Yeah. Um, so, um,
1: I only had a couple things, um, not
0: to interject there. Um, if you, if you had something you wanted to start off with. Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff that was in these episodes, I feel like we already kind of talked about when we were talking about like the turbines and stuff. Um, so, uh, maybe we we can, I feel like of, of all of the stuff that we're talking about, where you can maybe bring in Meribit a little bit. Um, just because now she's like actually introduced. Um, we can also maybe talk a little bit about more about backstory stuff, but I feel like we've touched on that even when we were doing the, the synopses. So, um, there might be some stuff there, but, uh, I think Meribit's probably the best place to start. Okay. Yeah. Um,
1: well, I'll let you. Um, I'll let you talk about that, because um, I I have some thoughts, but it ties into uh, other ideas. So I'll let you. I'll let you take it.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I guess I guess part of it is just because the the synopsis we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, seeming uncomfortable with her joining the the ship. Um, there are like multiple things at work here um, in that discomfort. And I think it's just like the, the good place to start with for this character. Um, part of it is, uh, you know, when it's initially mentioned, Orga's like, Oh, I see. We're getting an overseer from, from above. Um, and so I think some of it is like, I'm running my ship my way. I don't want someone coming in to, to, uh, you know, observe metal, metal and stuff like that. um, We also get uh, Maribit being positioned as the adult woman on the ship. Um, We also get a little bit of this with with Fumitan, but like, uh, you know, immediately when Maribit comes onto the ship, there there are comments from the boys around her being like a a real woman, you know. True Um, adult lady. Yeah, true adult lady. Um, And we we get some tension with Orga as well. Um, And again... We, we can talk about how are we reading when Orga's like, I'm not a, that interested in girls. Is it because Orga is interested in real adult women? Um, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> or is there uh, something else going on with him? Um, but <clears throat> we see him often like blushing. There's multiple yes. scenes
1: with them together where he's like blushing and um, or at least like flustered in some way um, yeah. or and like, draw, like drawn to be like blushing.
0: Yes. Um, and um, like, um, well, we also get the stuff related to this around the, the handkerchief that she gives him when he's throwing up and he smells it. And it's like, smells like a a woman basically. Um, and you know, now there's this whole thing of like, uh, I, I think that like moment is getting tied into a lot of this discomfort because part of it is him being like, Oh, were you already spying on us when we were there? Uh, did, you know, um, Tawas like doesn't trust yeah. us. Like, uh did Tewaz already have you observing us back then? Uh and she's like, No, I we just happened to run into each other then. Of course, you know, from this at this moment is she just lying about that. Uh was she actually spying on them already? Uh who knows? Um but also the giving of the the handkerchief, um, him being like, I'm sorry, I don't have it anymore, I can't give it back, and her being like, uh, no, it was it was meant to be a gift. I was you know. I wasn't expecting it back. Um, but also, it's also tying into some of that, that like that tension that he's feeling because the, the handkerchief being this, like the smell of a woman, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, And her witnessing him in like this moment of vulnerability and and, like this failure, like, you know, air quotes, like this failure of masculinity where he's like, yeah, you know, he's sick and like vomiting. Um, and then she like, you know, takes care of him. Like he's needing to be taken care of, and she like takes care of him. Yeah. Um, and we know that this is a thing for Orga because um in one of the prior episodes, uh, after leaving, um when he has this conversation with Naze, um, immediately when he like walks out the door, he like collapses in it and like uh shame and like anxiety because he feels like oh you know we have to be equals but he treated me like a child like
0: um, yeah when he was telling me about like the responsibility you have to take on um, yeah and like
1: he had like the upper hand in the conversation and now i'm like you know he has this kind of shame um v- v- like vulnerability reaction
0: yeah and uh, and i think we'll it's get- similar here we'll get more with Meribit around this, but like immediately she's coming in having like things to say about the way that the ship's being run in a way where he also feels like he's being talked down to or being spoken to as a kid um, and trying to assert himself, but not always succeeding. I think in some of these interactions, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So there, there is a certain amount of like her talking down to him. I think also, uh, I'm trying to, there's some other thing I was going to say around this. Um, but, uh, yeah. What was I going to say? I don't remember. If you have something you can say, <laughs> you can talk. For, no, I, save I think me. we've saved me.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. For once, uh, for once, I'll be the one saving you from blanking. Um, no, I, I think, I think we've pointed at like, you know, a lot of this stuff and, and there's maybe an, uh, another like layer or two, um, that we've neglected to mention, but I'm sure we'll think of it. Um, yeah. And just like in return to it. Yeah. Um, but you know, point being there's like layers to this. Um, and I think it's tying in Orga's like, um, the main ones to me are, um, like the suspicion and like sense of trust between like Teiwaz and Tekkenon Orga, like, uh, you know this like trust and family dynamics which we've already pointed at being important contours of the show um yeah. that are like s- seem to be uh at risk or in question with this uh mirabit being a the overseer um and then um you know orga's authority like his ideas of like leadership um And then his position as like uh, a child with like dealing with these adults, um, which comes up again and again, um, or like you know the perception of him being a child, um, etc. And then orgasm, sexuality, which I guess we'll see where it goes, but um, he seems to have this sexual, potentially sexual response, um, or at least like Maribit's... Like, sexuality is highlighted, uh, and then in conjunction, close conjunction with that, we have, like, Orga's sexuality um, also being highlighted, and their interactions, like, seeming to put him in, like, a flustered or, like, demure state that we have not seen. So... Yeah. I would say those Uh, are the big three things that are, like, happening.
0: Yeah, and and also... Uh, like I, I guess on, on the Easter especially before Meribit comes on, um, he is like the, the de facto, even if this is not true in terms of actual age, but like in terms of structure, he is the, the oldest one on board, you know, um, mm-hmm. he is the most adult. He is the leader who makes the decisions. Um, he has this like, uh, this position of adulthood among Tekkenon. Um, and Naze has already previously challenged this to some extent. Um, but also Naze is on his own ship and, and part of the threat of Meribut too, is like having this adult, um, in a way that, that Fumitan is not, uh, Mm -hmm. going to challenge, um, has this adult who is going to make him feel like a child rather than follow his his orders in the way that Fumitan will um or you know will slot in as like a member of the crew. Um Meribit sort of challenging that that authority and that um that sense of adulthood. Uh part of the him being uh you know blushing or or more demure to is also like um this emphasizing of the way that he is also childlike um, in a way that is, mm-hmm. yeah. is easy to forget when he is sort of the de facto oldest one on the ship um, who who is like, you know, giving orders to Fumitan and things. Um, here we get him uh, even more so than when he's dealing with Nase uh, having to kind of confront his, his childhood that's still sort of present there. So,
1: yeah. Uh, um, if I could move back to episode nine really quick,
0: yeah,
1: um, I guess it doesn't really matter what episode. um so one thing that stood out, uh it might seem like a strange thing to highlight, but um, the like the presence of food in this series, um it it struck me when I was watching these, um, this like arc of episodes that food is yeah. actually... Uh, it carries a lot of meaning in the series. Um, you know, we talked a lot last time about how bodies are one of the like key themes. Um, it's heavily engaging with bodies uh, in a number of ways that we don't need to rehash. Um, but I think food um, it is a related uh, thing. Um, you know, it draws a lot of focus Um, It occurred to me when I was watching, like, how many scenes that we get um, of, like, people eating, people preparing food, talking about food, Um, like, just various, like, human activities around food are portrayed uh, extensively. Um, And uh, the series, like, seems very interested in the idea of, like, nourishment. And it pays a lot of attention to like how bodies are like sustained and grown. Um, I think this is something that the universal century stuff does this as well. There's a kind of like um, realism quote unquote about the UC stuff where it does like look at, um, Oh, well, you know, how are these like children on the ship taken care of? Um, You see these like, you know, kind of domestic activities being done, um, and so on and so forth. Um, but also here, I think it has, uh, some additional, um, significance, uh, just around like, uh, larger, well, in the first place, uh, around this larger attention to like bodies um, and how they're shaped, um, and, uh, again, sustained, um, But also this like trickles down to characterization. Um, So like we learn a lot about the characters, um, certain characters through their relationships to food. Um, Yeah. Like for instance, we see Mikazuki um, always eating his like little pellets or whatever. Um, And this, you know, this kind of carries seems to carry some significance for, um, how we understand him as a character. Uh, And then Atra uh, being a um, one that really comes up here um, with her um, not only being like the cook and the person who's doing a lot of this work uh, to um, provide the food and like nourishment for the, for the crew of Tekkenon, uh, but also someone like, you know, she was, uh, like, starved as a, a child. Um, so she has, like, this prior experience of deprivation and starvation. Uh, and then, like, the, um, the factor that, like, facilitates her connection with um, Mika, her initial connection is, like, food, that she's starving, and, um, you know, we already talked about that. Um, and then now, like... You know, she, she's taken on this role of, like, um, the ship cook. Well, this is how she gets yeah. on with Tekedon, as she offers to be the cook. Um, so there's a kind of through line here where this is um, a- another important, like, subtext. Uh, and just, like, um, again, in these episodes, uh, we see a lot of, like, attention uh, and sig- given to and like significance placed on like feasts and snacks. Um, these are two like key plot points uh, in, in this arc. Um, like for instance, what you already mentioned um, ride storing the snacks. There's a scene around this. Yeah. Um, and then there's also like scenes where they first go to um, Saisei where they finally like have uh, the opportunity to like eat these lavish foods um, we see them like feasting and celebrating, um, and all of this I think is really, uh, important. So I just want to like point that
0: out. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Like also tying this back to previous stuff, um, I think that I thought was interesting to, uh, thinking more about food which I was also during these episodes um because we also you know we get the starvation with Atra um which also could then you could think about some of the stuff happening with um the conversation with Amida and Atra where like in some ways Atra is very happy to just have food mm-hmm. um in a way where it's uh less clu- like the the vibe that i get from uh amita is less like dealt with childhood starvation um there's also a way that i i think uh and you know looking up ages are uh ambiguous but i've seen some stuff that actually suggests a clearer age for atra um where she's not like that much younger than a lot of the other characters that we see um and so some have also like her being smaller and things uh, is this subtly pointing towards like uh, some stunted uh, growth from yeah. childhood starvation. Um, things like that might also be like informing her character and her design. Um, mm-hmm.
2: We also get th- uh,
1: uh, not to interject, but yeah. also in 11, 12 and 13 food becomes uh, with the brewers. Um, That's it's another like prominent instance where yeah. this uh, is, is portrayed.
0: Um but yeah, so then I'm also thinking about an an interesting moment is the farm um yeah, when they're growing corn, which is a, a food um and a, an interesting thing in that moment is the the exchange around you know how much do you think an era of corn costs um and Cudelia is giving this answer um that my guess is just like from her uh you know we're we're dealing with like fake uh fake currency here. But also I think I've seen some stuff that points to like when they're saying 200 galer, it's supposed to be like kind of 200 galer would be similar to 200 yen, just in terms Mm -hmm. of the way the numbers work throughout the series. Um, We haven't gotten too much on uh, monetary stuff yet, but I I think this holds true. Um, And so that would be like 200 yen would be like $2 or something, or maybe a little bit less, which could make sense for like, that is, costly but would make sense for someone being like oh yeah uh if i went to the store and i bought corn to eat it might cost this much Mm -hmm. um and what mika says is no it's like you know whatever 50 for like uh however many pounds or whatever uh and that this goes in is is used to make fuel um and so also this like them growing a food stuff but that most of it is being sold as fuel uh to you know to be turned into fuel not to to be eaten um as i think like another part that's like pointing towards this food stuff um and i mean we've also gotten cooking is a thing that shows up a lot in this um yeah. even before these parts we got uh kudelia like having to learn how to cook and not being able to to cut vegetables and things very well um and, you know, is continuing. We we are going to get, uh, in a future episode, her making a bento box with Atra. Uh, we don't actually see the making of it, but uh, we see Mika having it. And so she's, like, continuing to cook. Um, and the bento box, the giving of the bento box for somebody to take is, uh, you know, this trope associated with, like, um, you know, to, to point to Evangelion as an example. There's the whole, um, uh, what's her name? The... I'm totally drawing a blank on the, the, uh, the basketball guy. And then the girl who likes him Oh and is yeah, like me cooking too. food. I, yeah. I, I can't remember. That's um, um, my brain did, is like, t- yeah, my brain is like too much in, uh, iron bladed orphans mode. And there's so many names in the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, that's sad.
1: We podcasted about Eva for like 16 hours. <laughs> yeah. we can't remember it. Maybe um, that's why we can't remember.
0: Uh, Hikari is the the girl. I still don't remember the boy's name. Is it K- Koji? Toji. Toji. Yeah. Toji. Toji Suzuhara. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's one. But, like, this is a recurring trope. The, the character cooking a, a lunch for another character. Um, and often it would be, you know, in the school you might see this play out. But um, here it's, you know, I, I think it's the next episode or something where um that becomes built into this as well as like specifically the the uh Asher and kudelia cooking for um for Mika. Um so I think that's also uh in the works another way that uh food is being like brought in as a theme is also the Definitely. way that it relates to uh you know romance or attraction. Um and then also how it relates to labor. So
1: yeah yeah um so all of those things coming together um in in like food in this series yeah
0: um Um, there's there's another gundam series that cares a lot about food but we'll get to it someday (laughs) okay i'll be looking
1: forward to it yeah um and then you know i'll just briefly note like in nine and uh ten there's more i put gender happening um i think it's like what we talked about earlier, which is this idea of like f- the relationship between like family and sexuality that is kind of seems to be um, kind of uh, being established. Uh, yeah. Where um, Naze has this conversation with Orga where they're talking about um, well Naze is talking about, you know, he's the head of the the family um, and you know, if women don't let out steam, they explode. It's my responsibility as the head of the family uh, to make sure that, you know, they're, um, like, sexually satisfied in essence. Yeah. Um, but this is directed at Orga. Um, and, you know, the subtext, or maybe not even sub, like, <laughs> the message is that it, uh, it's a, that Orga is also, like, similarly responsible for the um, sexual and emotional needs of uh of his family which just tech it on um so you know there's a there's implications to this that uh i think we've um yeah established earlier uh but uh in the this solution moment,
0: is not uh, orga fucks a bunch of guys on the on board it is uh arranges for sex the right. hiring of sex workers right um, so
1: in this moment, you know he like arranges for um for the sex workers but there's also like um I think the equation that nase is making um also like has some significance um yeah regardless of Orga's response to it. Um, so that's the main other, uh, other thing that, that stood out
0: to me. Yeah. Um, and we'll get, and I think we'll talk about this more when we get to like uh, episode 13 in particular, but we're, we're seeing this like um, embodying of a certain masculine role that the boys are taking on. Um, but I think we can talk about that more when we hit 13. So mm-hmm. I, uh, sounds like you're about ready. We we can move on to our final chunk. Uh, 11 yes. through 13.
1: Let's do okay. it. Cause I'm excited about these episodes.
0: Yeah. Uh, episode 13 in particular is, um, I think of the episodes we've watched so far for the show. Um, my favorite. Um, and it's definitely one that like, even when I've thought about the show in hindsight, I think about, so, um, I think it's a really good one. Um, yeah, but we're not there yet. Episode eleven: Human <laughs> debris. Uh, using the long distance transport booster given to them by Tewaz, which is like this. Uh, it's kind of like the the what the full armor Gundam in uh, the original, uh, where like the Gundam sits in it and it's like a little ship that's launching. Yeah. Um, that's called the full armor Gundam, right? Mm. I don't remember. Um, maybe not. Uh, there is one. I remember in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, you know, 79, 0079, uh, them showing like, here's the extra shield and everything. And it's just like a, a little ship basically that's being made out of it. Um, anyway, yeah, it has it's that like, vibe. it's
1: not like gun something. It's not like gun tank. Is it? It's not gu- no. I know it's not gun tank, but it yeah.
0: may be, um, I know what you're talking about. I just can't remember the name. Yeah. Um, this is gonna like bother me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna continue on. But anyway, it is like a it's kind of like a little ship that the Barbados is like in with like the feet sticking out basically. Um, so anyway, using that long distance transport booster which we saw earlier, um, Yukinojo and Mikazuki uh, Rushdaki hero side, um, where uh, he's being attacked by the space pirates. <clears throat> um, Miyazuki tries to take the pirates on alone. Uh, so that Akihiro and uh, Takaki can get back to the East 3B. Uh, but another Gundam frame arrives. This is uh, Gundam Gujin, which I don't even know if in the, um, in this show, if they refer to it as a Gundam yet. Uh, but if you know, if you've already identified the, the uh, demonology naming thing, uh, Gujin, or uh, I don't know how you'd say it, but um, that's another demon so clearly uh you know pointing towards um this being a gundam
2: mm-hmm.
0: um so uh mika duels with uh gusion while akihiro tries to to run from the other pirates uh with tagaki's in just like one of those mobile workers that we we've seen throughout um that are like far simpler uh you know frames Um, and the pirates eventually, uh, capture Takaki and, um, you know, wound him in the process. Um, and Akihiro refuses to retreat, uh, is trying to, to save his friend. Um, during an exchange, uh, Akihiro learns that one of the pirates is his long lost brother, Masahiro, who could have foreseen this. Um, I guess other than (laughs) Takaki. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Psychic (laughs) Takaki. Yeah. Uh Takaki's a new type. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, uh the other pirates are also uh human debris children uh using the Aleya Visionana system. Um Ozzy and Laughter finally arrive as backup. Um Akihiro recaptures uh Takaki, uh saves him, um, and the the Gundam frame pilot uh for the gusion uh Kudal Kudel. Uh, I think it's it's like one of those basically repeated names but slightly different <laughs> that Gundam yeah. loves to do sometimes. I think um, that's right. Yeah. Uh but he orders the the children to retreat. Um the the children on his side, that is. Uh once our main characters return to the East A B, uh Akihiro and the other boys panic over Takaki's severe injuries. Uh they like try to open up the suit and just like blood starts starts pouring out and they're like, Oh, like the you know, pressure suit is is actually uh keeping him you know, applying pressure, I guess. Um We have Lem invading now. Um But luckily, Meribit is there. She's able to stabilize his uh, condition. Uh, Although in the process, she chastises Orga for going into space without a doctor on board. Uh, So we get more of uh, Orga's sort of authority and uh, adulthood, to some extent, being, um, you know, impugned. Or, uh, you know, that dynamic is intensifying here between uh, Orga and and Marabit. Um on the hammerhead, uh Naze receives a message from the Brewers, a pirate group, um, demanding that the the turbines hand over Cudelia. Uh they are of course the ones who attacked. Um meanwhile we cut um and Gileo and McGillis return to the earth base um, of Gatlaharn. Uh this base is called Vingolv. Um and just a lot of Nordic names with Gjotlahern. <laughs> McGillis mm. um, spends time with his fiance, uh, who is Gaelio's nine-year-old sister, uh, Almeria Bauduin. McGillis um, receives word from Toto about Cadelia's whereabouts um, and uh, that he sent pirates to pursue Tekadon. On the brewer's mothership, uh, Kudal punishes the children um, for failing in the mission, then uh, later on, Orga and other members of Tekadon are trying to, um, you know, provide some comfort to Akihiro, who's feeling guilty for um, being happy um, for sort of, in this moment, he's doubting, like, he's he's going, you know, <clears throat> I almost got, like, tricked into feeling like a, uh, I was a human. I was a part of this family. Um, I think also you could read in a certain amount of guilt about, uh, in his mind, replacing Masahiro with Takaki as like his younger brother. Um, yeah. well that comes up. Yeah. That's a, I think becomes becomes explicit. Um, soon. but you know, sort of talks about, I, I need to remember that I'm human debris. We don't, we're trash. We don't deserve happiness. Um, things like that. Um, Orga is re- reassuring him that he's family and that also Masahiro is, is you know, part of Tekadon's family. Um, Takaki wakes up during this conversation, uh, and everyone's celebrating his recovery. Um, and then uh, in the final moments, uh, Orga and Naze decide to strike back against the Brewers.
1: Uh, episode 12 The Shoals. Uh, Tekadon has tracked the Brewers to the Shoals debris zone um, an area of collected debris created from the destruction,
0: uh, like some of the fallout of the calamity war, basically. Yeah. There's um, like a lot of, uh, there must've been a significant battle here or something. And so there's a lot of debris. Um, and we learned that the Ahab reactors generate gravity. Um, and so there's these unusual gravity zones that have, uh, drawn the debris into sort of a, uh, like a long corridor. Um, not like a tunnel specifically, but um, hmm. sort of a long thing of, of debris in space.
1: Um, meanwhile, the uh, the Turbines and um, Technon, um are forced to consider the possibility that their route has been leaked uh, by a trader within Tehuaz, um, simply because uh, no one else would know uh, their route, or, or so they think, um, other than Tehuaz. Um, they uh, the turbines meet with Orga and others to plan out a strategy for the coming battle. Uh, which ends up being they plan to send uh, Mikazuki and Lofter out first to gain the enemy's attention and then ambush the brewers, uh, from their
0: flank, um, with their ships. Yeah, with the, some their of the main ships. Some of this also seems to be like, uh, why those two. Uh, Mikazuki has that uh, sort of long distance transport that he can be in. Um, and then uh, the hyakuri, uh, laughters uh sort of has when the arms fold up and there's that like jet backpack is kind of operating in a, a similar way. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, before the mission commences, um, as we mentioned before, Mikazuki is given a bento box uh, from Kudelia in Atra. Uh, he then talks with Akihiro about his brother um Akihiro kind of asks um asks Mika, like, hey, if you encounter my brother, don't don't kill him. Uh if you if you can help it, just hold him off until Akihiro comes. Um uh, and Mika is like, yep, I already, I already knew to do that, but I can't make any promises if I'm losing. <laughs> um Meanwhile, on the Brewer spaceship, um the space rats, child soldiers uh, mourn the loss of their ally, uh, Pedro, who was killed by Mika in the previous battle. Uh, They converse on the topic of reincarnation, hoping that Pedro has been reborn. Masahiro disagrees uh, because he feels that human debris can't be reborn because they're trash, not human. Uh, The conversation is interrupted by their captain, Kudal, who uh, basically threatens to kill them all if they uh, fail again. Yeah. Uh, Mika and Lofter eventually close in on the brewers and engage, um, the, the brewers send out the mobile suits. And so the fight ensues, um, and just as they, uh, just as, um, the turbines and Tekkenon planned, uh, the brewers are completely fixated on, uh, Mika and Lofter, uh, taken completely by surprise when the Isuribi and Hammerhead, uh, arrive in the debris zone, um, the E3B and Hammerhead cut straight through the debris and ram the Brewer's ships, uh, completely like incapacitate their, their ship and board it. Um, Shino and Dante are um, leading the team of soldiers to board. Um and meanwhile, like it now has just turned into like an all out. Um the turbines and Tekkenon have launched all of their mobile suits. Um so it's just like an all out mobile suit battle. Um, AZ and Laughter run in interference for Akihiro, uh, which allows him to locate uh, Masahiro. Uh, Akihiro then engages Masahiro by like, basically casting his weapon away and locking their suits together, and is trying to uh, convince Masahiro to join Tekadon. Um, and as Akihiro is talking about how he's been treated, how well he's been treated, um, how he's found a a family in Tekadon. Um this kind of like uh tragically has the opposite effect uh on Masahiro who's like um it like alienates him and he he's like aggravated
0: that um Akihiro has abandoned him. Um, yeah, there's a specific see- line of like uh family is like uh you know you and mom and dad. Like what are you doing talking about another family? kind of
1: yeah and mom and dad are dead and like you yeah. you've abandoned me now so now i have like yeah. no hope basically um and akihiro is trying to like you know argue otherwise but um as this is happening uh kudal is like um kind of like has mikazuki's gotten the upper hand on kudal and kudal kind of fleeing um but he sees uh akihiro there so he's like, I'm going to take my opportunity to kill um, this enemy and um, is, like, demanding that Masahiro keeps holding uh, Akihiro. Um, but instead, uh, Masahiro, like, pushes uh, Akihiro away and takes the full impact from uh, Kudal's attack, which basically just, like, crushes the, um, the cockpit
0: yeah. uh, entirely. With an actual hammer, not a not a Gundam hammer, but just a hammer-ass hammer. <laughs> yeah, just straight up hammer.
1: Yeah. Uh, so episode thirteen.
0: Yep. Um. So episode thirteen funeral rites. Uh. So still at the shoal, uh, shoals debris zone. Um. The battle between Tekadon, the turbines, and uh the Brewers continues. Um, piloting fusion uh, could all smashes the cockpit of Masahiro's mobile suit and fatally injures him. Uh, Akihiro rushes, uh, to his side is like actually out of his cockpit, like reaching out to Masahiro, asking why. <clears throat> um, and Masahiro sort of saying like, you know, I'm, I'm showing to you like human debris where we're born alone in space. We die alone in space. Um, uh, sort of also expounds this thing that he he doesn't believe that uh human debris are reborn um and akihiro is sort of saying no i i believe that you'll be reborn that you'll return home um masahiro is like well i guess i'll find out soon enough like um you know what which other of us is true i'm gonna figure that out because Mm -hmm. he's obviously doomed and he dies um Aboard the Brewer's ship, uh, a team led by Shino and Dante uh, are forced to kill some of the enslaved child soldiers after exchanging fire and losing some of their own. Um, there's the scene where they they see the the kids and they're like, "Oh, you know, it's these are the kids. We we don't need to fight them." Um, and start moving on. And you know, one of the Tekedon, uh team members is killed by the the kids. Is
1: um, is, is there any more like horrific sentence fragment? then forced to kill some of the enslaved child soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, <laughs> that's a tough one to, to tell. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and you know, I think even in that moment, they're like saying something about, you know, getting revenge for, for Pedro. Um, you know, the, the child soldiers that take it on, it has to fight. um, then uh out on the battlefield, uh Mikazuki overwhelms the Gundam fusion uh, and uh in the end, you know, this sort of puts an end to the fighting once uh Kudal is killed. Um this is the end, but before he is killed, uh he remarks that uh Mika seems to enjoy killing, uh which Mika hears and is going to reflect on later. Um even in the moment I think he's like uh you know, repeats it, is sort of briefly pondering it and is like, well, like either way, this one's ready to die. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and just kills Kudal. Yeah. Um so uh we we then cut to Earth. Um there's a a big fancy royal ball being held by Yatlahern uh, full Xeon hours over here on the ship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or on, on oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> they're having all the Federation people come. Um, Judo's going to show up and grow really big and go Super Saiyan. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. none of that
1: happened. Infiltrate the, the ball. <laughs> yeah, we've never seen this yeah. one before.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, s- run up the stairs and see. Uh... Why am I drawing a blank on her name? I just ha- I'm trying to hold all the IBO names in my head and um even forgetting what's the Xion lady's name? Haman. Haman. Yeah, Haman. Haman Karn. Karn. Yeah. yeah, on the stairs. No, none of that happens. Um yeah. there there's this ball happening though. Uh it's to celebrate the arranged marriage between Almiria and Michaelis. Um there's sort of like uh whispered conversation happening that uh Almiria overhears people are like, oh, you know this is obviously like a political maneuver on McGillis's part to like secure a stronger political position. Um, You know, like legitimize his like, like
1: lineage and like
0: family standing. Yeah. But also isn't he moving a little too quick? Like that, this is like uh, this sort of arranged marriage seems like a a common occurrence. uh, But the part that, that is uh, odd or talked about is that the, the marriage seems to be pushed along faster than it normally would um and the the conversation that is happening uh at the ball is that uh the the suspected reason is sort of him trying to make political maneuvers um and you know strengthen his his family uh and his like claim to power um she also sees uh, there are many older women who seem to be uh interested in mcgillis we get uh in a way that's sort of paralleling stuff that have been happening with atra um yep. we see al uh almaria i I forget if it's Almeria or Almaria Almeria um, yeah, I think it's almeria i think the the synopsis that I copied from spelled their name wrong, which is not the first name that they've spelled wrong. I tried to fix it whenever I saw it um but Almiria is noticing, you know, the, the the women with curves and We get know. the
1: shots like from her point of view of yeah. their like curves and bodies.
0: Yeah. Um and so she's sort of embarrassed uh and goes out uh onto like a, a balcony or something, sort of away. Um and then Mick uh comes out um and sort of uh, says something about like, Oh, you're the, you know, loveliest woman at the ball or whatever, and asks her to dance. Um, and then like picks her up and carries her. Um, some of this stuff is uncomfortable and we'll also be able to talk about more as this stuff develops, uh, how we feel about things. But, um, I, I think there's a lot of stuff that's going on here that, uh, is partially engaged in, uh, stuff, especially from Char's counterattack attack around, like char and uh it's definitely touching on pedophilia here uh but Mm. also there's like this uh political element and things um right now exactly like we we don't get a clear uh from mikulus's point of view intention here i guess yeah um anyway uh but i i think people are right to watch this scene and already be uncomfortable to some extent about this whole scenario um Anyway, uh, back in space, uh, Orga offers the sort of children pirates <clears throat> uh, who are left over the chance to join at Um They're kind of surprised by this. And he says, human debris, born in space, and not afraid to die in space. You are the proud chosen one. Tekadon welcomes you all. Um, and a number of the kids, like, actually weep at this, that, like... <clears throat> They were captured and now they're being offered to like be able to join Tekadon. basically Uh, is is not really a expectation they probably had. Um, Then uh, meanwhile, members of Tekadon are mourning all of those who died during the fighting, Um, obviously mostly mourning their own, uh, but also Masahiro is sort of one of the ones being mourned here. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I think it's Shino- is the one who is reflecting that he gave the orders. And so he should have died instead. Uh, we get Mika sort of pushing back on that. Um, don't say that that's respectful, disrespectful for those who died. Um, <clears throat> I think this is a, an interesting tension um, that we can maybe talk about more, but I, I just want to call it out right right now where we're sort of getting this. Um, everyone is welcome here. Uh you know people are like free to choose uh their what they're doing and and their role and then also that being immediately juxtaposed to like shino gave orders that people followed and died yeah. um there there um, is it's a little bit more complex than it being purely freeing i think uh <clears throat> yes uh, absolutely um anyway um Orga and Naze, uh, seize all the brewers assets and meet to discuss their move. And Orga like, <clears throat> I want to sell off all the mobile suits. Um, I don't want us to be using suits that killed Akihiro's brother. Um, you know, I do not think that would be a, a good move for us. So let's just sell them off and get the, the profits from it. Um, Maribit, uh, suggests that Takadan uh, hold a funeral using some of the revenue from from these sales, uh, and talks about how in the past this was a ceremony done to help the dead forget the suffering that they experienced in life and to be able to be reborn. Orgus um, sort of arguing against this at first. Um, he says, "If we have time." to, to hold a funeral, we should be spending that time looking to the future, making plans. Um, you know, it has this very future oriented perspective. Um, and Meribit reminds him that just because he feels that way does not mean that others do. Uh, and then we get, we get this line, funerals are for the living as well to let them accept the deaths of those they love. Um, we get a little bit here of, uh, Orga still feeling, talked down to but also decides to to hold the funeral um is convinced in this um so they they put in sort of like a a coffin shaped uh you know thing uh like a box they put a bunch of belongings of those who died uh and send it drifting off into space um and then from the the two like main cannons uh, on the the you know front top of the e3b they fire off a, a salute um the shots explode into fireworks um it turns out that um was this yamagi i think was the one who uh worked together with yukinojo yes. to to develop uh a way so that the propellant used would uh, ignite and create the the sort of fireworks um and so, uh, you know, they're all, like, very sad. And then when the, the fireworks goes off, uh, there's a little bit of a tonal change. Uh, people are a little bit, like, uh, there's a little bit of joy introduced in that moment. Um, but also everyone sort of uh, is a little bit disappointed at how quickly the fireworks disappear. Uh, you know, remarking that, like, oh, it'd be great if they just stayed here forever. Um, this gets contrasted with Tekadon, the iron flower that will never wilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here's this, you know, fireworks being a thing that's tied into, uh, I think in a lot of cultures, but in, in Japan in particular, there's that sort of Buddhist idea of the fleeting nature of life and mm-hmm. flowers and, uh, fireworks and things are, these are things that remind you of the, how fleeting life is. Um, yeah. and so this is drawn, happens.
1: this is drawn out, like remarked on like, oh, yeah. you know, our lives are by one of the characters. I can't, I think it might be Eugene is like, our lives are so short yeah um you know like the the way the fireworks are like animated as well there's the little like um yeah it explodes into like little um dots or like component parts and they they fade out one by one so it's like you know um symbolic of like you know uh people's lives like fading out burning out yeah
0: um, I forget if it's Eugene or Shino, who later asks Yamagi as well. Uh, make sure you do something like that for, for when I that die. Shino. Yeah, Shino. And then Yamagi's like, well, we can't be having funerals all the time like that. Like, that was very expensive to do that. Um, but also,
1: I don't want you to die,
0: <clears throat> Shino. <know>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, during this funeral part two, uh, some of the kids seem to be stifling back uh, tears and Nazare reminds them, um, you know, funerals are a time where people can cry as much as they want. Um, but the boys are determined that they can't be lame when mourning the death of their cool brothers. Uh, so we get some like masculinity coming in here. Um, they will continue to develop, but this also gets pretty quickly juxtaposed where, uh, I think it's ride who uh, is keeping everyone awake because he keeps crying. Um, and so, uh, he goes out, um, and, uh is it Merbit or is it Fumiton? It's Fumiton it's fumiton, yeah, so there's uh atra Kedelia, and fumiton um, and uh you know is crying for his mom and then uh picks Merbit and specifically says because she has breasts uh, F- Fumitan. <laughs> so but, yeah yeah, or yeah, fumiton
1: atra um, like offers like a hug and he's like, you don't have breasts, yeah, and, and therefore <laughs> like seemingly, like, therefore you can't be my mom, and then goes to Fumitan.
0: Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, I think it's then Meribit who notes to... Is it Marabit who talks to Kudelia, or is it uh, Fumitan then, who talks about how the boys seem to be suppressing emotions, uh, but it still breaks through, and, like, um. there's a thing with I, the hand, and then... I think it's
1: Fumiton as well. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um... These were me trying to fill in a bunch of stuff that I thought was important, but was not at all covered by the, the, (laughs) um, the synopses given. Um, but yeah, uh, so after the funeral, um, uh, Akihiro asks, um, Orga if he can actually keep the Gundam Gusion in order to honor his brother. Um, and, you know,
1: he knows that he's in anime as well now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like... uh, That, like, super, you know, valuable, unique, like, strong Gundam. Yeah, we should keep that around.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's a demonology (laughs) name. Uh, Also, I don't know at all how uh, new type stuff is going to come into this, but, like, if my brother's a new type ghost in that or something, then I want to make sure (laughs) to keep it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I just have this feeling that I should I should keep that gun
2: down
0: mm-hmm. um in the final moments uh Mika recalls uh Kudal's words that he seemed to enjoy killing um and Kudalia notices that his hands are shaking a little bit um which he himself did not notice uh, so she tries to provide comfort by hugging him and he responds by kissing her um This is, this like end scene is the scene that I've definitely seen people be like, oh, this episode was so good. And then it just ends with like a, uh, anime romance kiss thing. And it's just like, uh, you know, the boy getting the girl or whatever. And I'm like, there's so much going on in that scene. People just aren't watching close enough. I, I like this kiss at the end. Um, I mean, it's, it is played a little bit jokingly, uh, like her reaction to it. Um, but I think there's there's so much going on that's already been built up around uh gender and sexuality and all of that where um, And Mika and Ina Yeah Yeah where all sure. these responses make sense it does not feel forced which is often the the critique I've seen is that oh this just comes out of nowhere they just try to get they just like shoehorn this romance in. Um and I'm like no all this has been happening. <laughs> yeah um so anyway uh yeah, I don't know if you have any initial um thoughts do, here. Do you want to
1: speak on the reincarnation uh theme because that's obviously uh, a keystone for this like Yeah. And and I can tell you like from what you said that you have thoughts on it. I do as well, but I think um I'd, I I'd like to hear your thoughts.
0: Um yeah, I mean I think the One is that we, we get, uh, in a way that we haven't before this more clear introduction of like a, a religious approach. Um, and I, I think it's interesting because there are aspects of that funeral that feel more like a Western military, you know, like the whole salute and things. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's definitely being inflected with, um, a certain, like Buddhist tinge with the the fireworks and the flowers and this idea of like the ephemeral life, um, specifically being brought in here, as well as all the talk about like uh, reincarnation, um, being reborn. Part of the purpose of a funeral, uh, it's not being talked about as allowing the soul to pass to heaven, but rather allowing the soul to uh, you know forget the the suffering it felt in life, so that it will be reborn again. Um, that in some ways, the like forgetting of suffering that you had was an unnecessary element of the soul being prepared to be reincarnated. Um, which is a, a thing that comes up in, uh, various like beliefs that have reincarnation. But I think it's specifically like that version of it is being brought out here. Um, because it's also being tied into this idea of like, uh, what is human and not Um, the, the Mm. term human debris. And I don't actually know what the, the Japanese um, for this is, uh, but in English we, we get human debris and it has the, you know, that the two parts, I looked it up and it is just, uh, I think they just say debris. Yeah. Yeah. Human debris. Um, It's just a, like katakana. Katakana. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But uh, Yeah. So the, the, you know, it has the two parts of like human and then like debris or garbage. Um, And so then there's sort of these debates that are happening among those classified as human debris of, are we human or are we debris? Um, Which, which of these two is like the, the primary thing that we are. Um, And this idea of, you know, being human debris, even though human is a part of the, the word is a dehumanizing thing to be. Um, it is the thing that like strips you of humanity it is the thing that allows you to be traded as a slave. Um, that you, you are sort of uh, like within th-
1: this like political social, like socio political system.
0: Yes. Um, and we see that this is like encoded. There's like uh, contracts and things around this. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we get the, the orga sort of, Uh, giving like giving that contract to, um, to Akihira, uh, in an earlier episode. Um, and also, uh, it seems to specifically be tied to being orphaned. Um, that like, uh, being without a family, uh, and we see the way that like families are split up as well. Like that siblings are split up in the system. Um, you know, is being emphasized here. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we get the like uh dehumanization then going into the spiritual element of to what degree does spirituality for humans even matter for us? Um, if this is like the state that we are given. Uh and then people having sort of um different opinions within that. So uh, you know, we obviously get Masihiro as like the most pessimistic. We are yeah. just debris. Uh let's like strip off the human part that's like uh papering over what we really are like the pretense
1: yeah of like humanity is it's just like causing pain because we really are like we can't be humans um and so like we might as well just like let it go because it's never going to be painful
0: um and then others who who think that you know maybe we have this painful life but we'll die and we'll be able to to do something else out, you know, we will be reborn and hopefully be reborn as something better. Um, and then we also get this sort of being paralleled with, uh, you know, the, the literal reincarnation and like rebirth being paralleled with the, the more figurative one that's happening with Akihiro. Um, where, where, uh, Akihiro I think is, is going through a process of like, um, figurative rebirth. Um, Mm -hmm in this process of feeling stripped of his humanity and now being given it back, um, you know, being stripped of his family and now being given a family. Um, but also the ways of that, like continues to put him at odds with, uh, you know, the, the way that it tragically puts him at odds with, with, uh, Masahiro here, uh, for yeah. example.
1: Well, and not only Akira, but like in, in various ways, all of Tekadon. Um, even like Aina, um, the idea of her being like property, um, of like, uh, Maruba's property or whatever, um, is introduced. Like, she's been stripped of her family. Even if she has like this noble status, um, she's also like, um, obviously not in the same position as Akihiro, um, yeah, like socially, um, but like, there's valences of this happening with like a lot, maybe not all, a lot of the people in Tekadon, uh, yeah. Where like the 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 structure of Tekadon is like, um, like a restorative one, where they're like regaining, um, like gaining or regaining, um, this like these various aspects of humanity.
0: Yeah. Um and also space rats which seems to be a slightly broader term. Um yeah. Like it seems like there's like a a clear uh that human debris has like a clear social uh and like political delineations of like who is classified that way. Um, where like Orga and Mika, it seems like we're not classified as human debris, although they were orphans and they were child soldiers. Um, yes. But all of them are sort of classified as space rats as sort of these orphaned um, children born in space um, who are sort of considered a, a drift to some degree by society and, and space rats having this connotation of like a, a dehumanizing, um, you know, potentially slur applied against them yeah and
1: and we we still see like um the space rats like being subjected to um like these implantations and these surgeries and stuff and like yeah their agency um like this kind of like uh dehumanizing objectification i think is like the the force um
0: like the, the force that is like out at work, um, yeah, but also in a way where like i I think one of the distinctions happening here, and at this point, it's unclear exactly what's the what's the exact like uh sociopolitical mechanism that is classifying differently, but that like when we see young mika um you know, in, in the the flashback in the backstory that we get for Atra, uh specifically saying like, I worked for the money to buy this food. Um, mm-hmm. which seems to be distinct from like what is available to, to Akihiro at the very beginning of this or what's available to Masahiro. Definitely. Um but also that there is still that like shared experience that they have around the the um, you know to to what degree does even if you are free to work your social status and your position in society means that you are working the same job that is being performed by like, uh, you know, these enslaved, um, human debris classified, Um, like inhibiting
1: your agency and like, maybe not to the same extent, but like in, in the same like kind of way.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, and so I, I do think that like 13 in particular is really um, starting to tie together a lot of the, the stuff that had been going around or going on with like uh, human debris and space rats um, and giving it this uh, by bringing in the spiritual edge is also talking more directly around um, you know, the, the death and the violence that is occurring and like the, the ways that they are trying to, deal with and process that um, emotionally. Um, And, you know, the, the funeral is a thing that um, one, I think for the viewer uh, before I I go any more into this other stuff, I think that like um, there, there are definitely child soldiers uh, fighting and dying in, you know, universal century Gundam shows. Um, I feel like, there are exceptions here. Um, but the often you are not seeing like the, the field medic side of it. Um, people might, characters might die towards the end and it will be tragic. Um, but some of that gets a, a little bit more elided in the way that seeing, um, you know, Takaki like bleeding and the blood just going everywhere on the, the, uh,
1: and seeing it's like the, they're
0: like in the hangar or whatever. Yeah, and um,
1: seeing the shots of the the Brewers like children like literally dying,
0: we get yeah. like two.
1: I think two, um, of the like a, exact moment inside the cockpit. We see them like dying.
0: Yeah. Um, and then also the the funeral being a thing that also allows you as the viewer, um, to have a more extended uh moment of like being in that space of people have died and people are mourning them and the way mm-hmm. that it it is often easy for um you know more action anime to have people being sad about it, but the everything keeps moving, which is its own like tragedy that happens in life sometimes is that someone who, means a lot to you dies and you still have to go to work the next day or whatever. Um, but by, by being able to slow down this story a little bit and give you an episode that is primarily about the funeral more than anything else. Um, I think gives a little extra space to, for, uh, like narratively bringing in the viewer to thinking about that specific moment and the emotions that the people are feeling. Um, and then again, tying it to, you know, the spiritual way of trying to process what is happening to them. Um, but also to some degree, the, the limits of it, that there's like, you know, we get the thing of it's okay to cry. And then them being like, no, we're not going to cry. Um, and even when like ride does cry, the seeking of how to deal with that is a, I would say at least a uh, partially sexual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all of this is like tying into these constructions of masculinity that is kind of delimitating the space of what emotions they can feel. And this is being specifically called out by uh, Fumitan talking to Kudelia about like yeah. how they are repressing emotions, um, how they are suppressing them and not actually dealing with them. Um,
1: and then we get Mikazuki. Yeah. and then we In get, the middle of that.
0: Yeah. And then we get Kudelia trying to in some way offer... Comfort recognizing that he needs comfort and the his response being also similarly mediated by uh all of these like sort of pressures of um masculinity where it is to kiss her um well, and all but, of it, uh, but also this is tying into like the developing romance that has been occurring so
1: yeah and and all of this stuff is so like hyper concentrated in Mika, um, yeah, because Mika is such like. Um he carries the burden of the violence in a way like as like the primary agent of uh the violence like he's the primary fighter you know yeah. and he and he like uh his relationship with orga is um you know defined like so much by that like his willingness and his efficacy in like doing this violence. Yeah.
0: Literally um, the first uh scene of the anime is uh you know, Mika as a child shooting someone to protect Orca. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like killing um, someone for the first time. Yeah.
0: Um, um and we and- you know, we talked about how in the first six episodes he is the one who without hesitation will pull the trigger. He is the one when Orga is doing the coup, is with the g- going around with the gun and shooting the the, you know, uh first core members and things like that. Um, so yeah, he is sort of the, the, at the forefront of this, um, willingness to, to kill. Um, we now get it also getting complicated with enjoying killing. Um, right. Yeah.
1: Um, the, like, I, I think with Miko over the, the course of these episodes, well, uh, you know, all of the episodes until now, um there's a gradual like we talked about you know he has this kind of like blankness and aloofness um or um yeah like aloofness isn't exactly the right word um uh coldness yeah coldness uh, stoicism stoicism exactly
2: yeah
1: um and But we gradually, like, his interiority and his own, like, awareness of his interiority um, gradually begins to, like, unfurl. Um, And this feels like a tipping point uh, that is, like, prompted by – or somehow, like, a shift is prompted by Kudal um, engaging him in this way and being like, oh, you enjoy killing – Um, which gets like, uh, Mikazuki to, that resonates with him in a way that like makes him reflect on his interiority. Um, and so like, you know, in the course of him reflecting on his own, like potential sadism, like his relationship to this violence that he's doing, um, you know, this is directly linked with, um, him kissing kudelia because like as you said earlier um he's shaking because he's thinking about uh like his own emotional um like his own emotions and his emotional response to the violence that he's doing um and she sees him shaking and like goes to comfort him and then his response is like to kiss her um so as you said like these ideas of gender, um, kind of like delimiting um, the like expressions and like the um, the space or like the field of like possibility, or um, becoming kind of like this medium for um, for like what can be expressed or how how things can be expressed. Um, yeah, in this extremely complex way so i uh obviously this will continue to be developed um uh, but yeah. i just wanted to point out like um because you, you you drew all that together so beautifully um but uh mika all this stuff happening with mika here in 13 is like also uh you know imbricated with <laughs> everything that you outlined um and 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 you know um and then all the other stuff happening between him and Ida as well. Yeah, um, so I think we end on a very this this is really a very complex scene. Um yeah. that that has a lot of uh depth. Um yeah, which and, you know. Uh,
0: and to like uh pull on a little bit more of what you said. I I think there's also this thing happening here where uh and this is a return to Like I understand how some people will see this and have this reaction of like uh this is getting shoehorned in or it's coming out of nowhere. Um and I I think it's because in Mika's stoicism um and coldness and things. Uh there's also been a a lack of as other characters in the show are expressing sexual desire, <clears throat> we aren't seeing this directly from Mika. Um and some of it is just that uh, for a show that often, I think, uh, you know, there are comments, but also lots of things where things are expressed in uh, reactions, in uh, like facial reactions or body reactions and moments, uh, these little scenes like we were talking about earlier. Um, Mika is also intentionally kept um, a little bit harder to read, I think. Um, and so there, there's a lot of... Uh, You know, Atra gives the the like bracelet to Mika and he accepts it. Uh and knows that it's from her. Um and you know, we get the like I think he bleeds on it at some point and then smells it and is thinking about like how he needs to wash it or something. Um we get like these little moments of him looking at it when he's like about to launch in
1: Barbados.
0: Yeah. Uh, And so we get these little moments that are pointing towards um, him thinking about things, uh, having like recognizing affections that he's getting from people. Um, But all of it is sort of subdued in a way where if you're not closely watching the show, I think it is easy to feel like, Oh, suddenly Mika is just kissing her. Where is this coming from? Um, But, you know, as, as both of us have been talking about, like all of this stuff is that, uh happening under the surface and has been happening under the surface with Mika and if you're watching sort of closely you'll see these little moments um and then there is something intentional happening here with the uh you know the the connecting of uh his act of killing as something that he enjoys or finds desirable becoming connected in his like uh the, his delimited space to desiring like uh, a woman or sex or like sexual desire. Um, there, there's a link happening between like the violence and the sex here. I think, um, that again, this is the very final scene of the episode that, that we are like, uh, talking about far longer than it takes place on screen. Um, yeah. so this stuff I'm sure will develop more. Um, and I'll be watching even closer than times I've watched it before. Um, I know like broad arcs of how, various characters end up, but a lot of this stuff, um, is still stuff where this time by nature of doing the podcast, um, it forces me into a mode to be far more observant, uh, in the way that, you know, last time I rewatched watched this with a, a, infant sleeping on my chest. Um, <laughs> I was not quite as closely paying attention to all of the little details. Um, so, yeah, some of the, honestly, some of the stuff that, um, the first time that I watched the show, I was a little bit more hesitant about, um, or even the second time, even knowing the shape of things, uh, I feel like in a closer read, I, I feel like there's actually more interesting stuff happening, um, where I, I think there's still room for people to be critical about the handling. Um, but I also think like in the deep reading, I don't think it brings in any, uh, element just like fully unthinkingly or uncritically. Um mm-hmm. I think the show's is uh seems to be very intentional about the things that it's doing. Um even when it is engaging in and I, I don't think this kiss is necessarily it, but like if we want to talk a little bit about some of the setup stuff with McGillis and almeria um this is obviously bringing in something that uh is more uh I guess sensitive at the very least. Um and I think it has things to say about a, a society in which a young girl would be having arranged marriage to an adult man. Um, I think there's still plenty of room for people to be very uncomfortable with these scenes, um, with McGillis and this young girl. Um, but I also don't think it's bringing any of that stuff in without, uh, any thought around it or any, uh, you know, any things that it wants to say or it wants to explore. So, yeah, I mean, so I I kind of yeah. want to wait and
1: see what happens with Almiria and Megillus. Yeah, that's um, true.
0: There's, there's so... Uh, uh, Megillus at this point, aside from just sort of clearly being a Shar uh, character who seems to be very uh, intelligent and it seems to be plotting things behind the scenes, yeah. Um, his actual like uh, intentions, his actual plots and plans are still fairly unclear. Um, And so he's sort of a hard character to talk about until we get more on like, what actually is he trying to do in all of this? What actually is his position? Um, You know, what Shar Char being a character who, uh, you know, has very complex motivations throughout, you know the original UC Gundam stuff. Um, I I understand you being like, let's let's wait on Mcgillis and see where this goes before <laughs> before we dig in more. Um, yeah.
1: the The one thing I will say is that even in these episodes, I think there's already a lot of evidence, um, that like the presentation of Almiria is uh, and, and her situation is, is critical. Um, and ties in closely to like the series, the attention that the series is paying to, um, the like dehumanization and objectification of like, uh, individuals like via, uh, or as a result of these like class and power dynamics, um, like or just to, to say it another way like the way that like the powers that be um and like the ruling class um objectifies and like uses uh people and their bodies um to sustain itself yeah um and so I'll just say that <laughs> uh, i I think that like that this is already how I'm feeling about the way the series is presenting or or what what's happening here with, um, especially Almiria, but like potentially, um, also like identifying Megillus as someone who, um, you know, maybe an agent of, of like, um, inflicting this, but also someone who, who may be also, um, subject to it as well.
0: Yeah. um, Oh, I just saw the the uh, note with Ayn that you, uh, that um I think we're gonna get a lot more with Ayn as this goes on. So like next time we'll probably have more to talk about. Um, yeah, I know I, that he I, gets I, developed more as a character, and I I I thought some of it happened sooner. Um, but he's kind of just been chilling out so far. <laughs> I background. only have one
1: like one more thing that I wanted to bring up, and I think we're like we're hitting the three and a half hour mark, so. I know we're both running out of steam, um, but this is one thing. This is the thing that I mentioned earlier. I was really excited about. Um, in episode eleven, we see like we have this scene on the Finn Gulf um, where McGillis and Gileo are talking, and uh, they're talking about how they've hired the Brewers to, um, you know, attack uh, uh, Tekkenon. And, um, Gileo is like, oh, well, if we know where Tekadon is, I'll go right now and just solve this. And Migulus is like, no, no, no. Um, we've hired pirates. Uh, let the sewer rats clean the sewers. Um, be- because, like, they're traveling on the dark Pass, uh, like outside of the Ariadne network.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so let's just let the, like, rats clean the sewers.
0: Yeah. Um, well and obviously like the the parallel from sewer rats to space rats, let the space rats clean space. Um, exactly.
1: Um and in this, like the middle of this conversation, um, as like right as he's saying let the sewer rats clean the sewers, uh, we get like a very brief cut to this wide shot of the Vingolf um like cruising on this like pristine sparkling ocean um and it occurred to me in this moment that like you know again last time i was trying to make the point about um like bodies in this world how they're portrayed there's a lot of detail in their portrayals and it conveys like not only the the character's traits and their meaning in the narrative um, but also the social and political forces that are acting on the on them. Um, so, like, the social and political is like shaping, manifesting in these bodies and like shaping these bodies. Um, and here I think we get um, this is like deepened um, to like include spaces as well. Yeah. Um, so, like, in this world, it's not just like there's not only a relation between like class forces. Uh, in human bodies, but also like class forces in space. Um, so, class politics become spatialized. Like, certain spaces are marked as <clears throat> like clean, desirable, um, habitable. And those are obviously like spaces of the upper class. Um, so, we see the Vingolf, we get like several shots of it. Um, it's this like g- giant yacht, basically. Um, yeah, it's like white clean, um highly symmetrical, um but like you know, very like um lavish design uh there's greenery on it, but again, the greenery is all very manicured, um very symmetrical um which uh parallels what we see from like the the spaces um. That are created by the people of Gallarhorn and also the the people of Gallarhorn themselves, um, who all like, unless I've missed something, uh, who all appear to be like white, um, you know, uh, very cleanly dressed, very lavishly dressed, uh, very like yeah. symmetrical, put together, um, and again tying into like, um, you know, their bodies aren't haven't been subjected to these like um surgeries and modifications um and i'm thinking of uh, gaulios like you know he he vomits when he sees um the whiskers yeah um so there's like uh the vingolf the space of the vingolf is like um you know it's it's politicized or uh, it's reflecting like The same type of force. Um, and then, uh, at the same time, like, uh, Megillus is talking about like the dark paths of the, um, the shoals, like this, these areas outside of the, um, Ariadne network that are like, he, he equates them to sewers or like dark spaces. Um, which is like immediately contrasted by this um this shot of like the you know the vingolf and like the bright pure ocean um yeah and then you know obviously we have like the bodies in the spaces of the space rats um you know uh there's an equation that that we've you've touched on um the bodies of space rats are equated to trash um, so human debris um we see them as, like, um, dirty, like Mika's hands. Um, They're, like, rough, asymmetrical. Um, And, like, the whiskers, um, the way that, like, their bodies are, like, opened and exposed. Um, And, like, you know, I use the word distorted with scare quotes. Um, Yeah. But I think in, like, this worldview that's being advanced by um like this worldview is marking um the bodies of the space rats as like grotesque and like distorted and and etc it's like unclean um in these ways uh so uh i guess um i just found it really uh fascinating and i got really psyched when i when we got this scene because i was like oh um the series is not only showing how like um ideal like ideology is working on um like political forces and ideology is working on bodies, but it's also like working on spaces as well. Um, and how spaces are like categorized and um shaped.
0: Yeah. Um This is also uh like the name itself, too, is pointing to, to these ideas. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with um, for or, or Vingelver. Um, Not at all. <clears throat> so, here's a uh, this is from a translation from the prose, Ada, um, where. Uh, so, this is describing. Um, uh, let me see. So his greatest achievement, however, is the making of man and giving him a soul, which will live and never die. Although his body may decay, uh, to dust or burn to ashes, all righteous men shall live and be with him where it is called Gimli or Vingolf, but wicked men will go down to hell and thence to, uh, and thence to Nivelheim or Nivelhelm. Um, like the, the, uh, place below hell, uh, that is down in the ninth world. um, and so like within um Old Norse stuff, uh the the description of Vinglevir uh happens later um in the same section of the prose Ada, um where it says they built another hall that was the sanctuary of the goddesses, and it was a very beautiful building, it is called Vingelvir. Um and so like this uh, ship is named after a building that was built by the gods. Um, it is the, the like drinking hall where the, the goddesses usually reside. Um, and is one of the places where uh, good and righteous men, when they are slain, especially within like Norse mythology would often be slain in battle, um, would go after death. Uh, but like where it comes up in the Proseida is very specifically like, uh, you know, righteous men will go, and and live with like Odin in uh Gimli or Vingelver. Um, and then wicked men go to Hell or uh Hell. Um so there's that like clear divide too. Um and, yeah. and Nivel Hell also is like referring to like uh um darkness or like fog. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, so- there we go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, even even more on that. Uh, and uh, but yeah I, I I just wanted to uh, highlight that and I appreciate um, I appreciate you giving that background because I think that um, that affirms it even more for me that uh, what was conveyed to me in that scene is just like what it's
0: conveying <laughs> and not what I'm reading. Yeah. In. Um, um, but yeah, I think, yeah. Also as a note while I, while I'm sort of talking about some of the old Norse, uh, so galahorn is, um, like basically like, a hollering, hollering or, um, you know, like making a loud noise horn. Uh, it's like a implying like a very loud horn. Um, and it's a, a horn that was used by the God, um, Haimdallar. um, and, uh, the, the sound of it when it is blown is supposed to herald the beginning of Ragnarok, which is the, the battle of all the gods, um, and the death of most of them. Um, so, um, and Heimdall is like the, the, uh, god who sort of stands guard at the bridge between, um, you know, the Played like mortal lands and then. Yeah, played by El- Idris Elba, <laughs> the like mortal lands and the lands of the gods. Um, so, uh, yeah, having the the organization named after the horn associated with the guard who protects between like mortals and immortals, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, when it is blown, it will it will signify the end of the world. <laughs> um. So just, I guess just we'll see. Bring that in as well.
1: I guess we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. I I feel like we've covered a lot of ground here. Um so I, I feel good wrapping things up if you do.
0: Yeah. Um there's obviously more that we could talk about, but we'll have plenty of time. Yeah. Um we've
1: got a lot of discussion episodes,
0: luckily. Yeah. So uh next time we'll be talking about episodes fourteen through nineteen. Uh if you have emails for us, you can send them to ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. Uh if you have immediate corrections for dumb shit that we said, uh we will <laughs> we'll read it as soon as we get it. Um which there'll be a little bit of delay. There's like a three week turnaround between when we record and when we release. Uh, otherwise all questions we will answer um, when we get to the question bucket at the end of the series, but um, feel free to send them in now if you want, if anything's come up already. Um, please, if you like our work, uh, go support the network. If you go to export that'll take you to the Patreon. Um, one, you can just go there. Even if you don't want to give us money, and you'll find links to a bunch of shows um on the network uh so you can check out other shows that we do um but also if you do $1 you will get early access to a number of podcasts um not this one but you will get early access to pondering pouton um which is the other podcast that you and I do um that's uh a bizarrely high concept low effort uh <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, hangout show yeah, you,
1: yeah you're selling it better yeah. now you, you used to just yeah. say low effort
0: Yeah Now you're adding in the, the high concept So the, the thing is I think of the show as just uh, Extremely low effort Like I, I read the chapter um, Slightly earlier in the day We get on the mic We don't talk at all about what we're gonna do Beforehand we hit record And I start a timer for a half hour And literally like within an hour It's going to be recorded, edited, uh, cover art will be done. I'll have it, uh, either uploaded already, uh, a little bit early in the, in the Patreon feed, or it's at least scheduled to go out. Um, it just feels like it's the, it's the podcast I think about the least in terms of like Mm -hmm. outside of doing the, the act of the podcast. I'm not like constantly thinking about it, uh, in the way that like ghost divers, I think about like all week you know yeah, um, ornate stairwells i'll think about like a fair amount um around the long fire i've got like prep to do i've got to like read a, a good section of a book um pondering Putin, i don't but then like i talked to m and ms like it just feels like it's such a high effort show um there's like <laughs> they only now recently realized that uh we are often obliquely referencing things from the chapter in many of our episodes, um, so yeah, I it's 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 low effort on our part, but it's high concept.
1: That makes it slightly more comprehensible, probably, if you yeah. like are aware that we're making references to the to the manga. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine uh, if if like listening to it. I mean, I, apparently yeah. it's it, yeah, apparently it's enjoyable enough if you like or comprehensible enough, but
0: um yeah i the yeah. people i know i believe i don't think i know anybody who's reading along with us which is very easy to do and i'm sure there are people who are doing it but i don't know any if you are please write in to ghostiverspot <laughs> and let us know because i will be excited um mm-hmm. i don't think you have to read to get like to enjoy pondering putan oh yeah um, no. you do not need to read along uh However, I do think reading along will enrich your enjoyment of pondering Putin. Um, But anyway, if you want to check this out and you don't want to give us a dollar right from the get-go, you can go to exportodio slash and that will take you to like a, a web page that has a bunch of like like the RSS feed you can get there. Uh, if you just want to add it directly or, um, you know, various other, it has like links to different podcast apps. If you just go to your podcast app and search PooTown, you will find us. P-O-O-T-A-N. Anyway, for $1, you'll also get early access to Ornate Stairwells. Uh, It's a podcast that I do with my friend Autumn, where we watch a movie and talk about it. And we also talk about all the other movies we watched that week. Um, And it's kind of consistently two to three hours, but in a very different way than Ghost Divers is consistently two to three hours. Uh, We just bullshit a lot more on that (laughs) podcast. I feel like we're more orderly over here. <laughs> um, it's good both ways. Yeah. Um, and then around the long fire is a podcast that I do with M of abnormal mapping, who I mentioned earlier, that one is on the abnormal mapping network. So if you go to abnormal mapping, abnormal mapping.com <laughs> slash longfire. fire, I'm just, it's, it's late and I'm getting tired and my mouth is tired of talking. um, but uh yeah, we're reading through Icelandic sagas, so uh if hearing me talk about uh Gatlahern and <laughs> Vingolf at the the origins of it sounds fun to you. Um we have less mythology currently. We're mostly reading the sagas, but it's still a fun time. Uh also we pretty consistently talk uh at least half of the episode about like movies or other shit. We've talked about Gundam multiple times. Um it's also just the main time that M and I like talk at length. So um, it's fun for that. Um, So those are all the, the spiels go check out the $5 here. You get some great podcasts, but I'm tired. Um, Do it though. Give us $10. Give us $50. (laughs) I'll, I'll I'll shoot my shot. Yeah. Um, Go for it. Yeah. Just raise the stakes here. Yeah you're not gonna get anything more for fifty dollars but you should give us fifty dollars at least for like a, a month or two if you really like our work uh anyway you can go to Pod. if you, Ivers if you Pod. give fifty dollars we'll rate i'll we'll write you a card I'll, yeah i'll do it yeah connor will write you a card and if you give connor your address he will even mail it to you
1: yeah someone just needs to tell me that you've given fifty dollars but then i'll, I'll yeah. write you i i will do it
0: yeah um you heard it here folks uh, anyway, if you want to follow us on social media, we are at Ghost Divers Pod on Twitter or just at Ghost Divers on co host. You can follow me at Fox Mom nia on Twitter and co host. Where can people follow you, Connor? Uh, y'all can follow me at Rabelais or EBBLEAIS on Twitter and co host. Um, and that's it. We're, we're done. Yeah. Mikazuki! <laughs> <laughs> it just it doesn't work as well as Amaro! <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, yeah. Yeah,
1: so yeah. maybe we'll just do a normal sign off this time.
0: Yeah, we'll just say bye. Yeah, bye everybody. See bye. you next time. Time that is clap
1: alright let's do 47
0: okay ooh that felt good to me
1: I don't know about you yeah. yeah 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 I bumped my elbow a little bit on my chair but other than that the timing yeah. felt good
0: alright uh, do you want to get into this stuff right away or do you want to do a quick drink check yeah yeah we'll do a we'll do a drink check okay um, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Uh, you go first. Um. So, I when I was home over uh like Yule Christmas, uh home being my parents' house, um, they so my my brother who lives really close to my parents, um, he uh lived in Xi'an for a while and he's married to a, a woman from China, um, and her father will constantly give gifts of, um, baijo, like really good baijo to my dad being like the oldest man in the family. Um, my, my dad doesn't like it. Uh, and so I usually inevitably end up getting the bottles, which is great because I enjoy it. Um, but so I have a little bit in like a nice cup to, to sort of do the we, we get the, like, uh, Yakuza drinking ceremony in these episodes. Um... Mm, yep. And is kind of similar to, like, sake stuff, so some of it is, um... I feel like it's appropriate. It's an, an appropriate way to drink it. Um... And then I also have, uh, two beers. Um... One of them is the two-women lager, uh... Because Atra decides that it's okay for Mika to just have two women. Um and then I have the totally naked, uh, is the, the other beer. Both of these are from new Glarus. Uh, they're totally naked because of the increased sexuality happening in these episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we those don't are get my full nudity. Yeah. But
1: we, we get closer.
0: Yeah. I mean, we get it, uh, implied that there are moments where people are getting totally naked. It's not shown on screen, but it's, yeah. it's implied. So, <laughs> um, uh,
1: on my side, I have water, uh, not gonna do another extended speech about another like extended bit speech about water. Yeah, uh, it's just water. You want it? If you have is. like
0: a radically different drinking vessel someday, then maybe it's it's worth. But I think people can just assume it's the. I mean, if people are listening to this and they don't know what we're talking about, um, they should go listen to our previous seasons. But
1: yeah, water—it's always with us. Water, so you can just assume that. Yeah, it's here. Um, I have
0: my Brat water bottle and my confetti water bottle. People can hear more details about those on previous episodes.
1: Oh, you have them with you now, or you yes. just have? Oh, wow. Okay. So you have like yeah. four vessels there. No, um,
0: five. Yeah, five. Whoa. Well, okay. I'm pouring from the, the bottles of beer into uh, my Nana glass. So uh, I guess yep. technically there are six
1: drinking vessels in here. Wait, what happened to the other Nana glass? It's in the cupboard. Don't... Okay. You scared me for a second.
0: <laughs> I'm not I'm not double fisting <laughs> beer in here.
1: I know, I know. But you said the not a glass. So I was yeah. like, what happened to the other one? That this is really... more
0: drinking than I normally do on podcasts. But uh, this was like a drinking heavy episode. Mm-hmm. So that was also part of it. Very because appropriate. That, yeah.
1: Yeah, we haven't... Uh, I was just thinking uh, when I was making my 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 soon to be announced second drink mm-hmm. uh earlier <laughs> that we haven't we haven't really been drinking uh like alcohol uh on on ghost divers for a while yeah um so i'm glad that i'm glad that you are tonight yeah Because it, it was a good time to bring it back um so yeah i have my water it is a different vessel than ha- i think has been featured before um, yeah
0: but is it an exciting new vessel?
1: It's kind of exciting. It's my mm. green cup. Uh, it's a nice, like, lime green. It's a light lime green. Mm. Um, it's it's transparent. Uh, but it also has, like, a bubble effect. Uh, th- and there's small bubbles. So it's, like, all throughout the glass. You just have a bunch of, like, little- it's asymmetrical um. So they're kind of like irregularly clustered uh, bubbles all, all throughout yeah. the the glass. So it's I don't know. Would Would you call that Was that exciting? Um. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's new
0: and interesting.
1: Okay. Um. Well, my other drink with in my other vessel, I can guarantee you, it's it's exciting. Uh. So my other drink is green tea, which is from. Tea packets. So. I was so
0: nervous that you were gonna say fast tea again. No, no, no. I had enough time to make to make green tea
1: uh, tonight. Okay. Um, one one of these days, I'll make a big herkin uh, oh. vessel of <laughs> of fast tea and uh, f- for our drink check. But not tonight. Tonight, I've got green tea. It's in my uh, the vessel that that we all know and love. Which is my big mug, yeah. um, From the Creation Museum, and you know, I've talked about this mug many times before with you and others. People need
0: to go listen to our previous seasons.
1: Yeah, Uh, and I I think I've talked about it on Puton before. So yeah, the the mug is a mean. It's a it's a prominent character. Yeah, Uh, but suffice it to say, I love this mug because. I love six big mugs. kinds of animals. Well, five. Yeah. Um,
0: oh wait, is it? I thought there were six on the the mug. Well,
1: you have inside the mug and outside the mug. Okay. The, 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 the yeah.
0: The inside um, has six kind of animals, and the outside has five kind of animals.
1: Uh, let's see. Hold on. Let me count. Oh no! It's <laughs> it's five. It's five all around. So there the, at least within the mug itself, it's consistent. Um, but, but yeah a,
0: there is a secret sixth kind of animal that's not anywhere on the mug. Correct. Okay.
1: Uh, and that that's in the Apocrypha. So you need to go a little bit deeper to, to get to that one. Yeah um, but I love this mug because I love big mugs. My love of big mugs has been well documented. Uh, and also I love a mug that tells a story. And this mug tells the greatest story of all, uh, which is when, um, when our savior, Jesus Christ, created the, the universe, um, he also created five guardians. Do, do you know this story? No. Yeah. The, the five guardians of Jesus Christ. No. Wow. Um, yeah. So Jesus created five guardians with five unique weapons. Um, and their names were, uh, G- Giroff, Felix, Silas, Tyron and Canada. Uh, and the, and those five guardians, uh, protected Jesus on all, like on all seven minutes that it took him to create the, um, you know, the, the universe and, and all that shit. Yeah. Um, no one knows where the guardians are now, but we we do know that all animal life descended from them. Um, we're scientists are still figuring out how how that happened, but uh,
0: it's clear yeah. it is. They just they need to find the the uh, exact links to to fully flesh it out. But I mean, the evidence is there.
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's it's all around us and the beauty of of the world. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you just like open your eyes, you can you can see it in everything, uh, including it in this mug, uh, which tells the story. So, um, the story of the five guardians and their battles. Um, the uh, specifically, my favorite part being when they defeated communism, which was the greatest and final threat to the creation.
0: Yeah. And to Jesus.
1: And to and, and Jesus, yeah. Um Communism being Jesus' only uh only weakness.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: anyway, um we can talk about that story some more. No <laughs> <laughs> Noted anti communist
0: Jesus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um the only element that uh that Jesus is weak against um super effective against Jesus. Yeah. So, um Yeah, but luckily uh, off with his trusty glaive um his his super long glaive uh was able to defeat it. At least for for now. Yeah. Um anyway, so I'll I'll tell the story, I'll tell the full story at some point. Um another time, another drink check. Yeah. But Every time I drink out of the green tea, I, I think of this story and it fills me with strength.
0: How many people do you think that this bit regularly uh, alienates?
1: Uh, zero. <laughs> I mean, how yeah. could it? How, like, who could possibly be be alienated by, um, by the story of the five guardians? That's <laughs> so true yeah so um if you are alienated uh before you uh before you completely disengage, send us an email just so we can keep track you know mm-hmm. um and you know maybe we can maybe we can talk it out and you'll see the light uh yeah the beauty of the the story, but anyway, for now, so uh that's what I'm drinking. I'm almost done with the tea, so, you know, I think that was a pretty good drink check.
0: Yeah. Um. Do we have any other goofs, or do we want to get into the podcast?
1: I'm all I'm goofed out.
0: Okay. Um. Just goofed all over the place. No more goof in me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so much goof, I can't clean it up.
0: <laughs> I thought that was Universal Century. <laughs> Um. All right, we'll start the podcast. Um, yeah. we should get so, into talking about the episodes. Although, do you want to take a body break first? Yeah, perfect. Okay.
1: Do you want to clap or no?
0: Um, I just make my little mark in the the file.
1: Perfect. All right, I'll be back. Oh, this episode is gonna be so long.
0: Hello. Hello? Okay, I'm back. Hello. Hey. This episode's going to be so long.
1: (sighs) I think we can get through it.
0: Yeah. I don't have much on 9 and 10. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit, but... um, 11, 12, 13 is going to be the bigger part. For sure. um, Also, I think... Part of it is, uh, such is the nature of doing a Iron Blooded Orphans season. Um, I do think that this this anime is very good. It has, yes. a, it does a, it does a lot. Um, I want to give some credit where credit's due. Uh, it's pulling a lot on like original Universal Century stuff, but um, having seen multiple alternate timelines, I think Iron Blooded Orphans uh, understands a lot of stuff that was happening in like Tomino Gundam better than uh some of the other alternate timelines (laughs) and is like intentionally talking about those things so um it's able to do all of this because it's building on something that already exists but uh i still think it's really good about what it does i agree um anyway shall we get back into it yeah let's do it oh one note before we do i was walking to the the bathroom and um there's like a power cord that Emily has to, to charge her phone. Um, and this happens sometimes like at night when I'm getting up to go pee and things. Uh, but like sometimes the cord will, I'll just like trip on it. It will like get caught on my foot. Um, as I'm walking past that cause of where it sits. Um, and it happened to me. And so it happens all the time, like when I'm sober. Uh, but it did just make me feel very drunk to stumble while going to the bathroom. <laughs> Uh I don't think I'm actually very drunk, but it just, there's that moment of like, ah, I don't think I'm actually that drunk, but still. (laughs) The orga moment. Yeah. Uh, I'm not throwing up. You don't need to put your hand on my back. Anyway, let's get into it. (laughs) I would. I would if you were. Just so you know. Um... So I got like something in my throat and I'm trying to drink some water to clear it out. But um yeah, it so was I, a, it I, was like a
1: sonic boom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I still might cut this out but then put it in the uh post ED section. Oh, um okay, okay. We'll see. So in terms of content warnings, um honestly I don't think there there's much that happens here that hasn't happened yet. Um, And there's actually not that much development around like the, the sex and sexuality, like bodies part of things. Uh, It really is just the, the um, violence side of it. Uh, There's definitely some stuff that um, could be a little bit more intense than like, I think there's like a certain amount of escalation of violence that's happening. Um, It's not like severe, Uh, but there's definitely a, uh, you know, if you've already been like kind of on the fence, just maybe know that this could like have something that might go a little bit over, but, um, I still feel like the, the series in general often cut away from the actual like moment of someone getting, um, really seriously injured. Uh, but like, I know there's like at least one character that you see who's like, uh, very seriously injured, but there's also that parallel with, um, who is it? Who is bleeding out last time? We're recording this, like, weeks later. Oh, um... Yeah. Wow. I think that that one was actually... Yeah, I think that one's more affecting to me than what happens here. But I could see it going the other way um, for people.
1: Oh, uh, Akihara's brother. Is that what you're thinking of?
0: Um... No, the one where they have to, like, do field medical work on him. And then he recovers.
1: Oh, um... Uh... Is it Inagi? Maybe... Yeah, I might trying just, to remember. It's going it's to be funny embarrassing because people if, just, like, like, yeah, if people just like remember. Yeah, people just remember this because Unagi is a food.
0: Um, uh, I should have like pulled this up, but I didn't even think I was going to mention this. Anyway, I'm not going to pull. <laughs> wow, it up. Wow, this is people. Smooth. People listen to us. <laughs> people listen to us do the episode. Uh, anyway, that I think that's just the main thing. There's some escalation of that stuff. Yamagi, uh, it's, not, <clears throat> it's Yamagi. Yamagi, Yamagi. Oh my god. Um. There's a there's a little bit of touch. Uh, they they explore a little bit more some of the like uh, discrimination stuff. Uh, and there's like another instance of like um, you know the the implants being like uh, disgusting quote unquote or like uh, disfiguring the body. Um, but like none of that stuff feels that different than what we've seen so far. So I there's some, there's some stuff going on in the next episodes, but um, I don't know if like in terms of content warnings, there's anything notably escalating. Um, you know, I, one of the biggest things that I think could be difficult for people watching this um, is just like, even the idea of the, the uh, nine year old who's in an arranged marriage. Um, and that only just like briefly gets mentioned in, in one episode, uh, for this section. So, um, yeah, no more happening in that realm, but, um, I don't know if there's anything else that you've noticed. We are recording this, uh, slightly weird because since I was sick, uh, we had to push back on the recording for, for next time. So you haven't actually finished all the episodes, but, um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you noticed. No,
1: but, um, I, I, I would be surprised if we have any, (laughs) glaring misses um and then if we do Mm -hmm. we'll be sure to correct it to the best of our ability
0: yeah um well i guess that's it i'm gonna i'm gonna hit stop